Well, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. There's a lot of stuff to talk about these days, like war, but I wanted to talk about something else. We had that uh, we had that mass shooting last week that everyone was talking about, and as always happens when there is a mass shooting, the call for gun control goes out to the Democrat leftist bots out there on the internet, and we start talking about how law-abiding American citizens need to have their guns taken away because some people do bad things. We happen to strongly disagree with that. You have the right to defend yourself, and that's not just so you can go hunting deer or so you can defend your property if someone tries to break in. It's also so you can defend yourself against a tyrannical government. There is this argument, however, that people have been making about the assault weapons. Let's just classify that as something like an AR-15 or a semi-automatic rifle. That's what we will mean if I slip up and say assault rifle or assault weapons or whatever during this conversation that we're going to have. So I do want to warn you, today's episode is going to have a lot of numbers in it, a lot of data, a lot of charts and graphs. It would greatly benefit you to watch this episode on YouTube or Rumble or wherever you get your videos. Maybe I'll even post it out on Twitter and Facebook later on as well. But it would be really good if you can see what it is I'm talking about. This conversation was spurred by a post that I saw going around on the internets over the weekend. Comes from a guy named Brian Tyler Cohen, who has a show, I'm assuming, I've never listened to it or seen it, but it's called No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen. And BTC posts out this graph, this infographic, mass shootings in the U.S., indiscriminate killings of multiple victims in a public place since 1982. Now, for the purposes of this conversation, because we are responding to this post, which at this point, when I took the screenshot anyway, at 8.12 a.m. this morning, had 15,000 retweets and a couple million views, uh, we're going to be responding to the Mother Jones database of mass shootings. So, no lie, posts out there, the red line is when Republicans ended the national assault weapons ban. And what you see, if you watch this on your screen, is a whole bunch of dots. Some of the dots are small, some of the dots are big. And it's going across a chart starting from 1980 up to 2025. And you will see where the red line is. All of a sudden, there's a lot more dots. And there's a lot bigger dots after that as well. The argument that he is making is that the assault weapons ban ended right there in 2004, which is where his red line is. And there you can see there are way more mass shootings that took place afterwards. So there's a couple things I want to address with this. First off, my, my first problem I had with this graph was that I've seen it before. And in fact, I've seen it before because I've seen him post it before. And the last time he posted this, it was pointed out by community notes that he had cut off the disclaimer at the bottom of the graph. And at the bottom of this graph, it says that the database includes shootings in a public place in which four or more victims were killed. That threshold was lowered to three victims in 2013, which is reflected in the data from then on. 
So already we have a problem with this graph. You see, when I want to, when I want to learn something, if I want to look at a picture of a graph and I want to learn something and I want to take something away from that graph, well, I want to know what the data is inside it before I even consider what it's telling me. And so it, I don't want to say that we don't have a problem with mass shootings or that mass shootings aren't bad, as we'll discuss here in a second. But I do want to know what information is actually in the graph. And if it is going to change the way that it collects data starting in a random year and then does not retroactively change that for all the other years beforehand, you just have one year that starts collecting more shootings. Well, that's important. The graph thought it was important, the people who made it, the Mother Jones database, and this was posted on the Financial Times website, that's the article they pulled it from, they thought it was important too. That's why they put it down in the disclaimer directly beneath the graph. All right, but he cut that out. If you go back to this picture right here, it's, it's not included. It's, it's gone. So I said, you use the chart that lowers the threshold for what qualifies as a mass shooting and then cut that disclaimer out of your post. No lie. Quote, quotes, and no lie. And I tag community notes because that's how I learned this the first time. And I knew when I saw it that I'd seen this before. So I went back to his old post and I pulled uh, the source that he had posted the previous time and uh, went back and found it and posted the screenshot of what the actual disclaimer is at the bottom of it. So yes, starting in the year 2013, they start collecting more information. They lower the threshold and they don't fix that for all the previous years. They just start collecting more information. Doesn't mean that mass shootings didn't increase. They still did. Spoiler alert, they still did increase. But they didn't increase as much as the graph is showing you. And so why wouldn't we still just want to tell people that? Like if it's still going to make the point, I, I think it's important just to use the same information all the way throughout the graph. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I'm, just, maybe I'm just weird. I'm weird like that. I got some interesting responses from people on this. I'm, you know, when I, when I bring this up, I'm not saying that mass shootings are fine or that I don't care when they happen. I'm saying that if you're going to show me a chart and you want me to take something away from it, then I need to know what the chart is telling me. And I, I need to know that they're using a constant data set, a constant data filter for the entire duration of the chart. I don't know why that would need to change or if you were going to change it, why you wouldn't fix that. But other people, they just think that I mean I don't care when people die. Like this person who says, remember I said they changed the number from four to three, started collecting more. This person says, and that somehow makes an increase in gun violence okay? No, I didn't say it makes an increase in gun violence okay. I said I want to see the accurate data. Another person says, and that makes it better somehow, my dude? I think you picked the wrong hill on this one. No, I didn't say it makes it better. I said, I want to see the same information all the way throughout the graph. This person says, does it matter? A shooting where people are injured or murdered is a shooting. Let me guess, you are a pro-lifer? <laughs> Just making random guesses, random stabs in the dark there, uh, trying to get me on something. Uh, it does matter, by the way, because when you're showing a chart and you want people to take something away from it, you should use a constant method for collecting data throughout the entire chart. The next one. This guy says, oh, you're right, my bad. Who cares if three people die? Four lifeless child corpses is a tragedy, but three is no biggie, right? That's not what I said. 
I said that I wanted them to use the same data set throughout the entire chart. This person says it's so callous to think that it only matters to you if that one extra person dies. Three people dead, that's not so bad. Four, okay, now we've got a problem. I'm going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. No, no, that's not what I said. I said I wanted to see a chart that shows the same data set for the entire chart that doesn't change it in a random year at the same time that you're trying to point out the increase. You're pointing out an increase at the same time that the data collection changed. That seems important. Another person says, by your logic, you're okay with shootings of innocent Americans as long as it's three or less. Effing dense. Now, how does me pointing out that the data changed in the graph when someone's trying to make a point with their graph? And I point out that the data changed and they cut off that disclaimer. That means that I'm fine with it. If three people die, I only care if there's four. Like, like what, what Tasco Warlock said here in the group, these people are not real. They can't be real people. Come on. But whatever. They're emotional. There's a shooting. People died. I get it. People died. That's terrible. That's tragic. And you want it to end. That's one thing we need to realize. A lot of, a lot of these people, it's not just that they hate guns or they hate Americans' right to self-defense or even that they love a tyrannical government. They, they see that there is a problem. We see it on the news all, a lot when a specific type of mass shooting happens. By specific type, I mean not one in Chicago or not the other one that occurred over the weekend that no one's really talking about today where there was a fight that broke out during a Halloween party. Uh, that's, that's what people want to talk about is when there's a specific mass shooting, Okay. It's it's terrible, and maybe they actually want to fix that, and they think that the only way to fix that is to stop people from having guns. And then they've also been told this lie that the federal government banned assault weapons, so you could only use weapons that weren't for assaulting people uh, from the period of 1994 to 2004. There was a decade there for uh, that you according to them, you just weren't able to get assault weapons. Like, they were all gone, right? No one had an assault weapon. No one had an AR-15. No one one had a semi-automatic rifle during this time. They've probably never actually looked into what that ban actually entailed, because that's not the case. That's not what happened. But the argument is they did this ban, and we had less, we had way less mass shootings. When the ban ended, that's when you see mass shootings start to pop up. And so therefore, the ban worked and we should go back to having the ban. All right, these same people uh, have probably all done drugs that the government has banned in their life, but whatever. Once again, I want to point out the graph and then we're going to go through some of the numbers that I pulled up through the same database that was used to create this. He draws a red line right there where the assault weapons ban ended and said that that is what caused all of these shootings to pop up. I want to talk about that. Let's go through some of the numbers I actually pulled up. Now, as I said, I'm not saying that we don't have some type of a mass shooting problem or and that they haven't been increasing and that more people haven't been dying from what we categorize as a mass shooting. Even if you look at the indiscriminate killings of people in public and not just a a gang, a crime-related incident that happens. The numbers of people dying from those have been going up. So far in 2023, according to the Mother Jones database, we have 54 people that have died 
in what uh in what qualifies as a mass shooting. And we had uh, one of the, the biggest year here was 2017. I think that was the year that the Las Vegas shooting happened. I'm pretty sure 117 people died in 2017. Now that's terrible. And is at Vegas and Parkland? Okay, in 2017. So that's why we have. I mean that you can really see it up above all the others. It's terrible. We don't like it when people die. We don't like it when people are murdered. We're very anti-death on this podcast, so I'm against every single one of those people dying. I do think it's important to keep this in perspective as people act like we have a mass shooting epidemic and that you have to be so scared to go anywhere because someone's just going to come in with an AR-15 and a tactical vest and they're going to come in and start killing people at a Walmart or at a movie theater or in a school or whatever the case may be. There's just nowhere you can go to run and hide from this. It's just happening all over the place. It's, it's not. It's not happening as much as people think it is. And the amount of people that are dying, when you actually compare it to, to the amount of people that die from, from gun violence, let's still talk about guns, it, it barely registers on the chart. You're talking 0.2 of a percent, okay? Less than a percent, a 0.2 of 1% would be the amount of people that would die in a mass shooting like in 2022. That's the amount. You're talking 20,000 people dying every year from some type of gun violence. That's not counting the suicides either. There's more, the, the suicides are more than those. So that's like over a little over half are the uh, suicides every year. So while mass shootings are terrible and none of those people deserve to die and we don't want those to happen, I also don't want to act like it's this massive epidemic and and I should just be scared to go to the grocery store today because this is happening all over the place. And specifically, being worried about a mass shooting where a lone wolf shooter comes in and indiscriminately kills people. That's not the way that people are dying from guns. They're dying in other types of crimes. And these are actually a very, very small percentage. Yes, the live group, I just want kids to die. That's That's all that this is. That's probably what someone on Twitter would say later on. Now we have this chart here, mass shooting deaths. I was just showing you guys the mass shooting deaths uh, earlier. Here's another good way of looking at it. They have the federal assault weapons ban highlighted on the screen. So you see they're just kind of trucking along, trucking along right there. And we have the federal assault weapons ban. Really no discernible change. And then the federal assault weapons ban ends and the number, the number starts to spike up. Once again, you need to watch this video on YouTube or Rumble or Twitter or Facebook, wherever it is that I end up posting it, all those places that I posted afterwards. Um, And the links you can find in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast right now. You see the line just spike up. I mean, and it does. It really does spike up. This line right here is a five-year average that we have. And the the running five-year average is definitely moving up quite a bit. How can we account for this? And you see right after the federal assault weapons ban is when this line just really starts to take off. So people see that, well, the ban ended and then way more people started dying every year, right? And so that's what we have to to conclude from this. You want to account for what I have circled right here on the graph. What happened? All of a sudden they started ramping up in the decade following the assault weapons ban ending. What happened there? It must be that the assault weapons ban ended and all of a sudden Americans were allowed to go and buy assault weapons, 
As I said in the beginning, I'm meaning some type of semi-automatic rifle. So what I did was I went into this Mother Jones database, and I just have a screenshot of here. This is what it looks like. It's an Excel spreadsheet of each one of these killings. And I started to make some pivot tables and pivot charts and all that off of this information. The same information that they were using to show the graph that uh, Brian Tyler Carlson was doing. So I went through the weapons column and I read every single one of them and I gave each one of them a weapon code. So weapon code one is a semi-automatic rifle of some sort and two means handguns, all right? So one doesn't even mean that the rifle had to be the predominant way that people were killed was with the rifle. It just means that there was a rifle involved. A semi-auto rifle was involved. I didn't look to see if the person had the rifle on their back and they were using a handgun to kill people or whatever. If they had a rifle, then they got the weapon code one. All right, and then if it was just the handguns, then they got the code two. There are shotgun mass shootings also. Not a lot of them, but the shotguns are used uh, at times as well. So the first thing we'll look at on this chart is the same data and taken with the amount of mass shootings that happen. In red, you see the rifles, and in blue, you see the handguns. And I guess you could say that there is a point where it really starts to ramp up. Now, what's kind of weird is what I see is where this really starts to ramp up is not after the assault weapons ban, it starts to ramp up around 2013 where they changed the way that they collected the data. Now, the numbers still do go up, but it is lower if you keep just counting four instead of reducing it down to three starting in 2013. Clearly, that would be the case. But that's where I see the biggest jump happening. It's starting in 2013 where magically they started counting the data differently. Remember, I'm supposed to take away from all these numbers that the federal assault weapons ban worked. That's why we need to enact one again. And that's how we're going to save a lot of people's lives. Okay? I don't really see that as the case after going through all of these after going through all these numbers. Now, if you just look at the semi-auto rifles, you will see uh, one time a year, one time a year, one time a year, and two, 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 and then it jumps up to five, 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 uh, right there at 2013 where they start collecting the data differently. However, once again, I will tell you that the number does still jump up at that point. Now, the assault weapons ban, let me pull this. Sorry, here's the handguns. Kind of a trend, they are moving up, but the assault, the uh, the handgun mass shootings have seemed to have always been taking place even during the assault weapons ban decade as well. Uh, but you can see that they're up a little bit more 2017, 2018, 2019, stuff like that. All right. So we want to account again, once again, for what I have circled, which is this line where they start to jump up immediately following the federal assault weapons ban ending at the end of 2004. So what I did was I put these all out for decades. Because if I were wanting to decide, did this assault weapons ban work? I don't just want to see the decade that we had the ban and then the decade following the ban and the decade following that. There's also another important decade that we should look at that we have in this data set from Mother Jones. We're using that because that's what Brian Tyler Carlson was using. Cohen. I think I said Carlson earlier. Cohen. BTC. 
There's another important decade, and that's the decade before the assault weapons ban. Because if you want to determine whether or not it worked, you would want to see those numbers go down. And we don't see that. The red and blue on this, by the way, the blue are handguns, red are rifles. If you can just think of it in political terms, Republicans love rifles, and Democrats only want you to have handguns. That's literally why I color-coded them as blue for handguns and red for rifles. Guess are red rifles. I could have done that, but well, Republican and Democrat, that's fine. In this first decade right here, 84 to 93, you have eight mass shootings that happened with handguns, nine that happened with rifles. Then you have eight and eight handguns and rifles during the assault weapons ban time. There is one less mass shooting that happens during that assault weapons ban, which everyone has determined is, st- is statistically insignificant. You cannot make a determination because one less mass shooting happened. And then remember, it's a really important part. The mass shooting deaths jumps up like crazy following the assault weapons ban, which leads you to believe a very important thing, that all of a sudden people had rifles, assault rifles. Just going to use this terminology. That way everyone knows what we're talking about. And that's why we have so many more mass shootings, and that's why we have so many mass shooting deaths. A really weird thing I saw is that mass shootings with handguns spiked up in the decade following the assault weapons ban spiked up to 22. It was eight the decade before the ban. It was eight during the ban. And in the decade following the ban, it was 22. Guess what was still eight? The number of mass shootings with rifles was still late in that decade. And then it really spikes up going from 2014 to 2023. And we do have more with rifles. We have 41 with rifles and we have 37 with handguns. Okay. But does that prove to me that this immediate jump happened because people had access to these assault weapons and these semi-automatic rifles? What's really weird is the jump that happens in the decade following is a jump in handgun mass shootings. Not a, not rifle mass shootings. So that's weird. I don't know. I find that to be kind of odd. I don't know if you guys do as well. Coming up, more mass shooting stats on Liberty at Night. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org.
All right, we're back. Liberty Unite with Nate and Chuck on the Free Talk Live Network. We've been going through some of these mass shooting stats, trying to set the record straight. At the end of this one, I'm going to bring out an old clip when we talked about school shootings and other mass shooting stats. So you might hear it change towards the end of this. But let's get back into this conversation. Here's a really important part is the post that we're responding to right now. There were two things that were wrong with this. Only one that I pointed out in my comment. One was that they changed their method for collecting data in a random year in 2013. The second thing is that he's using this chart to prove to you that the assault weapons ban worked. Why did we just find out that's important? Because the jump actually occurred in handgun mass shootings during that decade. This chart does not separate out whether or not the mass shootings were committed with handguns or with rifles. This is not a chart of only mass shootings with rifles or with assault weapons. This, shoot, this, shooting, this mass shooting chart includes every weapon. And so if you're trying to prove to someone that banning assault weapons would work, why are you using all of the shootings that include any type of weapon? Because of the point that I just made, because the massive jump happened with handguns not with assault weapons or whatever. I'm getting sick of trying to clarify which one I'm talking about here. The other important point that I kind of made earlier, if you wanted to determine that the assault weapons ban worked and that the jump that occurred afterwards is because they lifted the ban, what I would expect to see was that the line was much higher. You see, I put in this dotted line right here on the chart that instead of down here really low, because really the number stayed the same throughout the ban that it was before the ban. What you would expect to see is that the number was really high before the ban because Americans had full access to any type of weapon that they wanted and that they could just go buy them and no one cared. And then they enacted the weapons ban and the number went all the way down to the number that apparently was perfect in the perfect world that we lived in during that. And so you would expect to see that that line was really high and then the assault weapons ban knocked it down really low and then they took off the ban and it popped back up. What you actually see is when the assault weapons ban comes into play, the number stays the same because it was already really low before that. So you can't determine that it actually decreased the amount of shootings that occurred. And in fact, that is what has been determined. Question in here, do more people die when the shooter uses a rifle versus a handgun? Yes, is the, uh, is the answer. Uh, more people for sure get injured. You can, you, I mean, let, let's just be honest here. You can shoot more people when you're using a, a rifle that's got a 30-round magazine uh, and you can shoot faster. guess you can shoot straighter or whatever um, and you can kill more people. Yeah, there are more people that die. What I'm trying to determine, though, is not whether or not we have more people dying from mass shootings or what, if there's something that can be done about that. What I'm trying to determine is, did the ban decrease the amount of mass shootings and did it even decrease the amount of mass shootings that were committed with rifles during the assault weapons ban? And the answer is it did not. If you look at this little collection of studies, this is from the Wikipedia page, but um, they seem to be seem to be pretty true. Studies of mass shootings. This is actually included in the assault weapons ban Wikipedia page. Uh, a 2019 DiMaggio study looked at 
mass shooting data from 81 to 2017 and found that mass shooting fatalities were 70% less likely to occur uh, during the federal ban period and that the ban was associated with a 0.1% reduction in total firearm homicide rates during the reduction in mass shootings. That's the one that, that they come up with. Mass shooting fatalities were 70% likely less likely to occur. There were the same amount of mass shootings. And actually, if you look at the data, uh, there wasn't that there weren't that many less fatalities. So I'm not exactly sure what data they looked at when they were doing this study. Could be looking at different data. 2020 Rand Corporation review of five studies regarding the effects of assault weapons ban concluded that evidence for an effect on mass shootings is inconclusive. While limited evidence was found that high-capacity magazine bans may decrease mass shootings. 2015 study uh, from a professor of economics studied the law's impact on public mass shootings. Uh, they defined the subset of mass shootings as those occurring in a relatively public space, targeted random victims, were not otherwise related to crime, and that involved four or more victim fatalities. And they found that fatalities and injuries due to mass shootings were statistically lower during the ban, but they concluded that the study, although the study showed assault weapons bans are effective in reducing mass shooting fatalities, their effects on the overall murder rate and was minimal at best. Uh, this is due, let me see, this is due to the fact that assault weapons are used much more frequently in mass shootings than they are in murders in general. So what these studies are looking at is, what about the amount of people that get murdered every year? Remember, I started out this conversation by saying that Mass shootings are bad and I don't like it, but there's a lot of people that get murdered every year with guns. And the amount of people that die in a mass shooting is very, very small. When you take that subset and then you say that you're going to ban assault weapons and then you get a little bit less people that die from mass shootings during that, we've actually just decreased is a subset of that group. It's a subset of another group down just a little bit. And so when you look at the total amount of deaths that occurred, it barely changed anything. And I know that we want to, you know, people want to look at mass shootings as a specific category and that's what we need to stop. But in my opinion, whether or not you die in a mass shooting or you die in a random drive-by or you die because someone broke into your house and killed you or because any other random person just came up on the street and killed you, I sort of look at all those things as equally bad, especially to the person who died. I don't think they care whether or not it was a mass shooting or if just someone came up to them on the street and killed them. Uh, so I, I do like looking at this as the total group of homicides and gun deaths. And they are statistically so small that no one could find an effect on the actual homicide rate coming down. So once again, I had these fatalities for mass shootings. And this one I readjusted uh, for the uh, the remember the data set they were using three they were using four and then they went down to three this one I just kept at four for the entire time so it did actually decrease like I think I said fifty one or fifty four people this year it already decreased it down to thirty five this year I said one hundred and seventeen for twenty seventeen and it decreased that down to eighty nine and so there is a statistical change when you look at these numbers differently. This is what I was saying earlier was pretty important. It's the total amount of people that are getting killed with guns. Gun Violence Archive, they like to look at all this stuff, not just mass shootings. In 2022, there were 20,200 people uh, that were killed with guns, not including suicides. So any kind of willful, malicious, or accidental 
as well. But they were killed with guns, not including suicides. If you were to take out the amount of people that died in the mass shooting in 2022, instead of 20,200 people dying, it would be 20,149 people that died. And that's really important to those 51 people. It, it is. But if you're trying to decrease the amount of deaths that occur over the year, the mass shooting is not really your first thing to go for. Our problem that we have right now is how sensationalized this has been in the media. Of course, any time a specific type of mass shooting happens, it's all we talk about for about a week, maybe two weeks, depending on the politics of the situation. But if there's no, if there's no clear political realm of the, of the shooter, uh, then maybe we'll talk about it for about a week. And it fills up everyone's news feeds for a while. And so those are the ones that we typically pay attention to. As we know, we don't pay as much attention to people killed in Chicago or Baltimore or whatever all around the country that uh, I think uh, there were something like 50 people that got shot in Chicago over the weekend. Few, a few of them died, you know, that's not what we pay attention to. Maybe it should be what we pay attention to. Maybe addressing the problems that cause gang related crime. Maybe we could talk about the war on drugs. Uh, maybe we could actually discuss issues like that. If you found a way to solve some of those problems, you could see a real drop in the number, not just from 20,200 down to 20,149. What if you cut the number down by 10%? That would be a pretty, that would actually be a pretty significant change, even by 1%. The amount of people in 2022 to die from mass shootings was 0.2% of the amount of people that died from guns. And so you're, you're barely tackling people getting killed by guns but you're doing it in a very specific fashion, a sensationalized fashion where you can talk about assault weapons and you can push for something political like an assault weapons ban, which makes it all sound more political than actually caring about saving people's lives, in my opinion. What about the idea that the AR-15 is the weapon of choice for mass shooters? Now, this is going all the way back to 1982 and up through this year. And I didn't count the shotguns in this. There are some that were just committed with shotguns. So I, I was only categorizing the, the rifles and the handguns. So between these two, rifles were used in 66, the number, 66 mass shootings from 82 up through last week. And handguns were used in 75 mass shootings through that time. Um, I haven't looked at the specifics of the amount of pe- the fatalities between the two of those. That is something that I should have done before I came through this, uh, came to talk about this. But you're talking about something like 53% of the shootings, 54% of the mass shootings have been committed with handguns. And 46% of them were committed with rifles. So it's not even clearly obvious to me that rifles are the number one problem. Remember that massive jump that happened immediately following the assault weapons ban occurred in handgun mass shootings, not in rifle mass shootings, even though that chart is used to justify the fact that we should have another assault weapons ban. Given this, given all these numbers, I've concluded that the assault weapons ban did not decrease mass shootings, the increase in mass shootings is not because of the assault weapons ban being lifted. Maybe more people are using rifles now because they are so much more popular in our, in our culture than they used to be. 
They were always popular, but I have another idea too. I think that the assault weapons ban actually had a reverse impact on gun culture. I think something being banned and used as a political weapon like that, and then the ban being lifted, uh, actually led to more people wanting to go out and get AR-15s, making them cooler, something that was banned for a bit. This is a political talking point. This is a hot-button issue right here. I'm going to go out and get one. I actually think that they had a reverse impact. It might be why they're used so much. It might be because they're easier to get. But I don't see any evidence that if they were harder to get, that the mass shootings would stop. Once again, the decade of the assault weapons ban had one less mass shooting than the decade before the assault weapons ban. And then the decade after had a massive spike, but the spike was in handguns, not in rifles. That's all I brought for you guys today. Okay. I wanted to go through this and just, I'm sick of people putting out ideas that they think sound good. And I'm sick of people acting like solutions are really easy. There's a lot of reasons that mass shootings happen. And I don't think the access to the guns is the number one issue. When it's easier to access guns, is it more likely that a crazy person's going to decide to go get a gun and go kill some people? And so it's a little bit more likely, but we're not addressing the root cause of the problem. A lot of us know what the root cause of the problem is. Why did the big spike happen in 2013 and 2014? Even, even adjusting the numbers uh, that were wrong in that first chart. Why such a big spike in that time in 2013 and 2014? I think that there is a mental health issue. I do think that a lot of SSRIs, things like that, are overprescribed. I think a big issue with SSRIs being overprescribed, not just that they, that they can make you fly off the handle, but it's also that people have decided that this medication could be taken in lieu of actually solving the problems. I think that it's, I think that it's very rare that someone is having these problems. Now, I'm not a doctor, okay? This is just my opinion. I think that it's very rare that someone is having these issues because their brain lacks the ability to properly send over the right amount of chemicals to another part of their brain. I think a lot of times it's situational. It's something going on in someone's life. It's something going on in their economy, with their job or with their kids or with their, with their loved ones in general. You know, I think that's actually what it is. There's also another weird thing that happened. The uh, social media po- popped up around that time. Isn't that weird? I mean, really started to spike up around that time. And a lot of people reported feeling more lonely after social media got more and more popular. So there's so many issues that we're not tackling and trying to take away guns. I don't think it's actually going to solve it. And if you really want to solve the problem, then you would talk about real ways to address the root causes of the issue. He is tweeting out uh, a retweet comment of the K-12 school shooting database which says there have been a hundred and four shootings at schools so far this year. What constitutes a school shooting? I'm glad you asked, Charlie. I didn't think you were going to. So I go on to the K through 12 school shooting database and I look at the year of our Lord 2023. And it does in fact say that there's been 104 school shootings. So I just went through some of them. Half of those, by the way, have no victims. No deaths, no victims. Basically, a gun went off around the school. Gun doesn't even have to go off. Just so you know. All right, so here's one. No victims. An elementary school over the Rhine was placed on lockdown Wednesday morning due to a police pursuit. The suspect, by the way, entered a school through a window. 
Police said it all started when officers responded to a shots fired call that came in just after 8 a.m. on Antique Street. So then police pursuit. Police said it appears it was an incident where shots were fired into the air. The suspect that they chased went into a school and they apprehended him in the school. And this went down as a school shooting. So people that worked in the cafeteria found him in the basement <laughs> and said, hey, you need to get out. You know, yeah. Let's come outside. This is a guy that su- supposedly fired a gun into the air at some point in time. You chased him. You went into a school K through 12 school shooting database. How about another one? Uh, the next one. A 33-year-old man was seen walking down the street with a gun toward an elementary school. So the school went on lockdown. He fired shots near the school, and then he committed suicide in the cemetery next to the school. And this is a school shooting. School shooting. How about according to the police at 6.47 p.m., MCPD officers responded to 2700 Spartan Road to reports of a shooting that took place. Police stated their investigation determined that an altercation in the parking lot led to a shooting. The shooter fled. And there were no injuries. So this was after school out in the parking lot. Someone said that there was a shot that was fired. This is a school shooting. Man holding a gun was seen at the new Manchester High School Special Olympics event being held in the football stadium. Uh, When security approached him, he ran from the stadium to a nearby residence. And when police confronted him, he fired shots at the officers. That is a school shooting. Mm. A teacher committed suicide in the school parking lot during afternoon classes. The school went on lockdown. This is a school shooting. According to the Durham County Sheriff's Office, a gun was found on a 14-year-old who allegedly used it to rob another student. The investigation started just before 2 p.m. after the school resource officer received a tip about a possible armed robbery. The SRO found the student who still had the handgun with an extended magazine and items taken from the student who was robbed. This is a school shooting. The gun was never, never even, even fired. Fired. The student was robbed at gunpoint near the front door of the school. The gun went off during the robbery and struck the school building. Okay, so we got a gun going off, and the school was, in fact, shot. <laughs> this a is hole, a school there's shooting. There's a hole in the brick. <laughs> yeah. 23-year-old man fired shots outside the school, arrested by police. The school was not targeted, and the shooting was related to illegal drugs. This is a school shooting. That's a school shooting. A parent pointed a gun at another parent during an argument at a youth basketball game. Police responded for reported shots fired, but determined that no shots were fired. This is a school shooting. An Estes Park police officer accidentally discharged one round into the floor at the elementary school. No one was injured. This is a school shooting, according to the K-12 through school shooting database. They're lying to you! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> God! Now, I wonder why the chart looks like that, by the way. Imagine, so these are basically mm-hmm. self-reported incidents. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, they didn't report Think they were stupid ca- Mass shootings. I saw these stats going around. We've talked about these stats so many times. The number that your Twitter demagogues are throwing around is 130. I saw everyone saying 130 yesterday. It's been 130. Been more shootings than days. Here's the deal. I want to make this point again. When we talk about mass shootings, what are we talking about? What is it that people are upset about? And the answer to that is, is very simple. It's the kind of mass shootings that make it on the news. Those are the kind that people are worried about. Not your gang violence in Chicago. I'm sorry. All right, we talk about that, but that's not the mass shootings that get all the get all the play on the news. They get everyone worked up. Or we could be having this conversation every single Monday when we get our list of how many dozens of people got killed in Chicago over the weekend. And so there are different archives you can go to for mass shooting numbers. The Violence Project, which we've now seen referenced by 
the Huffington Post, and the New York Times. And here's what they exclude. Since 1966, they exclude when the victims are exclusively family or friends. So someone you know gets mad and killed. That's not what people are worried about. Or shootings related to gangs or underlying crime. That's not what people are worried about. Now, oddly enough, that is what most people should be worried about if you're going to be worried about a shooting. Yeah. Now, the Gun Violence Archive, which is the number that people love to cite if they want to make this point, makes no exclusions. They count all the gang violence. They count the shooter. Your crazy family member. Location any. Same thing with the Northeastern University. No exclusion. Every town for gun safety. None. The Washington Post, by the way, does it the same way that the Violence Project does. How many mass shootings are there according to the Violence Project? 188 since 1966. <laughs> About 130, 132 of them this year, though? No. Uh, the Violence Project and the Washington Post say that there have been three this year, this being the third one this year. If you count them in the way that people actually talk about them, if they are the ones that people are worried about, then why aren't they talking about them constantly? That's not the case. That's not what people are worried about. They're worried about school shootings, the workplace shootings, the random indiscriminate shootings in public at a parade or whatever whatever that thing is, a college campus. That's what people are talking about when they talk about mass shootings. This is by year they show the groupings of mass shootings and you can see that they do start to increase. And honestly, I think this is a, it's a contagious thing. The more times it happens, the more people do it. And we got to talk about mental health. We can talk about the transgender, gender affirming stuff and the testosterone treatment. That's clearly has not been a cause of a bunch of the mass shootings because you don't have a long list of trans people on testosterone therapy, killing people, but that's something that could play into this. Most of it, I think, has to do with the freaking antidepressants that we've been overprescribing to everyone. Now, Washington Post actually here here shows. Look at this this little graph down here at the bottom. Fifty one deaths in twenty twenty one from what they categorize as mass shootings. Six thousand eight hundred and fifty for just other gun related deaths. Okay, totally different things. Uh, Washington Post says there's been one hundred and eighty nine as of the time that they stopped counting. Look at this website, Charlie. It's pretty cool stuff. They'll show you each year how many different mass shootings there were and how many people died each year in here. And of course, they're counting the mass shootings as what we all know a mass shooting is. What we think about, anyway. It's a lone wolf or it's an indiscriminate shooting in a public place or people that you don't know just randomly going and, and killing people. Not a family dispute, not an argument in the parking lot, not gang-related drive-bys and stuff like that. On this database... You can go in here and you can separate them out by K through 12 school. You can look at each one of these things. I'll tell you the year and how many people died. You can go down here and separate it by mail. That's going to narrow it down. You can pick whatever ethnicity you want to. You can pick white right there. You can pick the guns that were used. If you want to pick the guns. Uh, just semi-automatic assault weapons. As you go through there. So you can do that. You can pick how they acquired the gun. If you want to look at it that way. Legally acquired. Did you see that disappear when I selected legally acquired? And then go to assault. Let me see. Do legally required and semiotic assault. Semi-automatic assault weapon and legally acquired. One. <laughs> Let me see. Parkland, Florida. 2018. So is that, there's been one since 1966. According to this database. That was a white male who purchased a an assault weapon legally. Is that right? 
Listen, all I can tell you, because I can't, I don't have all of the data on me. I'm just, we're just using this tool. The Violence Project, we just saw cited by the New York Times and the Huffington Post, and they use the same methodology that the Washington Post does too. I know that we, none of those are really respectable publications, but I can tell you that even super left-wing outlets are linking to the Violence Project. And so there's a pretty cool tool. I'm going to put the link to it in the show notes. More to come on Liberty at Night. Hi, I'm Derek J. I don't want a politician to represent me. To me, government is the idea that one group of people can coerce everyone to comply with an edict or face increasing punishments up to and including death. Despite perhaps the most noble of intentions, the best government services are a far cry from what could be provided for by voluntary interactions. Besides, the people who call themselves the government wage wars and put peaceful people in jail for crimes involving no victims. If Starbucks used some of its money to drop bombs, I wouldn't shop there. So why would I support the American empire? The Empire does not require my consent. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. You can order your copy of the Director's Cut DVD now at VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. Free Talk Live. This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Kicking off hour number two. Let's talk about a couple things the government's doing that's wrong that doesn't have to do with war and us not making fun of someone like Robert Reich or whatever. Uh, this article from Reason, Charles, if you want to do this one, I think it'd be... I'd never heard of these guys before, but I'm going to look at it. JSX, they've actually got a seasonal flight like during the summer from Nashville to Destin. Oh, that's and cool. since I basically vacation there every other week during the summer, I think I'm going to look at that. Yeah. It's a semi-private airline. You know, they got, I think, 30 seats. Everybody's 30 got a seats, pretty yeah. comfortable mm-hmm. leg room. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, right around a thousand bucks. 600. From Nashville to Destin? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, it's not bad at all. No. Now, airlines are asking the FAA to FAA? The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, to regulate competitor out of business. American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and largest union of pilots want the government to change regulations that allow a smaller competitor to operate. Now, the government would never try to regulate someone out of business because some of the bigger businesses in that industry are pressuring them to do so and pressuring them to write regulations that make it harder for competitors to compete against them. Of course not. The government has to have common sense regulations for the safety of the people, Mm -hmm. right? And it's never big businesses that are getting the government to regulate the smaller ones so they just become bigger businesses. Yeah. That's not never the big insurance companies Mm -mm. writing the healthcare law. Mm Mm-mm. Definitely doesn't happen. A recent survey by the travel site Expedia found that 55% of Americans find commercial flight, quote, more daunting than filing taxes or visiting the dentist. I visited the dentist this morning. Do you think that flying commercially is more daunting than the dentist or filing taxes? (sighs) Sometimes it can be. You fly a lot. I think once you get good at flying then it's really not any more stressful By that, than anything you mean else. Like, like paying for the lounges and the pre-check. No, and like when you do it all the time. And all that stuff. When you do it all the time and it's a routine, okay. 
You know, you kind of things, things pop up and you're like, well, that makes sense. You know, it just doesn't stress you out anymore. I do find it more daunting because I assume that I will die every time that I fly. Not those are the only times I've been wrong my whole life so far <laughs> that I can count. Right. One smaller airline is thriving by giving customers a better experience at a price comparable to the major carriers. Naturally, the larger companies are petitioning the federal government to shut it down. Rather than big commercial jets flying out of major airports, the regional airline, JSX, flies smaller planes that look like private jets out of smaller private terminals. At the smaller terminals, terminals passengers walk right out onto the tarmac to board the plane and don't have to go through TSA checkpoints. Wonderful. That would be good. That's it's amazing that they haven't found anything crazy on these planes. I got straight up felt up on my mm. last flight to Denver. I forgot to tell you about that. Oh, he yeah? kept warning me. He was like, he's like, I'm sorry, I just got to do it real quick. And he just kind of ran his finger around, <laughs> around the rim. <laughs> around you the, really want to see the video. Just the tip? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was weird. Wow. Did he pull your hair after that? <laughs> Did he take you into the back room? No. Oh. No, didn't even give me his number. Hmm. In fact, JSX checks passengers against the TSA pre-check database ahead of time and brags that travelers can show up as little as 20 minutes before departure. This saves more than just time. Passengers on flights that require TSA checkpoints pay for them with a per-ticket fee. JSX fares run, uh, run from 300 to 800, roughly equivalent to a commercial flight and cheaper than a first-class ticket. Now, I'm pretty sure that's one way. You think? Yes, because I've looked into this before. Probably, uh, probably they're yeah. they're probably given one way. They're one numbers, way. more than mm-hmm. likely. Uh, JSX gets away with this by taking advantage of a loophole in FAA regulations. Flights with thirty or fewer passenger seats can be classified as public charters, and therefore aren't subject to the same rules. I don't like the idea of calling that a loophole. I know this is from Reason, but call it when the government doesn't do something to restrict you from operating. That's not a loophole. It's called freedom. That's just freedom. <laughs> All the other stuff is tyranny. Mm-hmm. This is not a loophole. That's just freedom. Yeah. Anyhow. The carrier won FAA approval to operate as a public charter in 2016. Its original fleet consisted of 37-seat passenger jets, from which it removed seven seats, meeting the FAA maximum and giving passengers extra legroom. Ticket prices include drinks, snacks, Wi-Fi, and check bags. Passengers are thrilled. Last year, JSX was the only regional airliner in the world to win a five-star rating from the American Passenger Experience Association. Shut it down! <laughs> Shut it down! Just remember the the these That's regulations. Too much award. These regulations are for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to you got to make sure these companies don't get too big and take advantage of their customers. And give they're, too much of experience. They're going to give them terrible service. Mm. You know, the the seats are getting smaller and smaller, and you got no leg room. And now here's an airline right here where they rate it five stars, and they might just go ahead and regu- regulate it out of business. Yeah, they're too good. Yeah. They've been winning top honors for the third year in a row. A Forbes contributor called JSX flights a new, simple, and wonderful solution to air travel woes. But not everybody is pleased. In May, American Airlines asked the DOT, the Department of Transportation, to provide regulatory clarity, charging that JSX's business model degrades our nation's aviation system and distorts competition. What does that even mean? Well... How do, the whole entire aviation system as a whole in America has been degraded. Like, 
There's a plane taking off from a smaller terminal and it's got people in it and they've never had a crash and the people are happier than every other airline. And American Airlines says that this is degrading our nation's aviation system. Yep. And it's distorting competition. What's distorting competition? Like they wanted you to only have the two airlines and now there's three, which has distorted everything. Yeah, I know there's more than that. Look, just, all American Airlines or Southwest has to do is just create your own version of this. Like, I don't understand why you couldn't just get some smaller planes, only put 30 seats in it, and then do the same thing. There you go. They can compete against JSX. Exactly. Southwest uh, Airlines said that, quote, there needs to be one level of safety for anyone flying on a scheduled passenger carrier. Obviously, we've seen nothing in the news, but JSX planes going down. Falling out of the sky. Over and over and over. Breaking in half. <laughs> I know. Wings falling off. You yeah. remember when like 30 of their planes the pass- at the you, Twin Towers? If you look up at the sky, you can see the passengers with their legs at the bottom of the plane trying to like make sure they yeah. keep the airspeed like going. Like the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are Flintstones. Or like they're riding the Batman ride at Six Flags. These are Flintstone <laughs> jets. Yeah. And you don't, you, it's hard to see in this picture, but because the wings aren't as steady you can see the passengers have their arm out the window. Mm-hmm. You know, you, trying to keep that. You stick it out and you that drag. You move your hand up and down to and make your hand. Yeah, and the crew is trained mm-hmm. in how to help the yeah. passengers row. Basically, it's air rowing. Yeah, but you just steady. You have to watch the video yeah. to get the full effect. We well, can't of tell us only the black passengers have to do the air rowing. Yeah, down at the bottom of the exactly, plane. and they're in the back. Mm-hmm. And they're going to sit up in front. the back and yeah. the bottom, the bottom back of the plane. Exactly. And then it's hard to tell in this picture too, but <laughs> it's missing a couple wheels. And so when they go to land, you know, they just basically the, the crash. Par- parachutes come out yeah. and they drop slowly nose down to the ground. You're basically paying $600 to die in an airplane. It's a wonder they stay so in business. It's a safety thing. Yeah. <laughs> so serious. Yeah. Such a serious issue. Exactly. Um, look, the airline pilots association, these unions, here's the mayor. This, about people. This is the main problem, by the way. You asked, why don't the other airlines just compete with JSX? Mm, yeah. The answer is they can't because of unions. Mm. That's why. Well, the largest pilot union accused J- JSX of abusing a loophole that should be closed in the best interest of safety. It's all about your safety. It always will be about your safety. Mm-hmm. When we try to restrict other people, it's about safety. In August, the FAA, the FAA, I just want to say FFA, but that's Future Mm -hmm. Farmers of America, Mm. which is a fine organization, but it's not the FAA, Mm -mm. which regulates air travel. Completely different. Well, they announced that it would consider changing the regulations that let JSX operate, declaring that it intends to initiate a rulemaking to address the safety risks. What safety risks are happening? (laughs) Anyone list one? List one. What has someone died on a, on a, one of their flights? I don't even know if anyone's gotten sucked out the window on one of their flights. Like Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have they crashed on the on the runway and ran off the end of it and caught fire? <sighs> Man. How many How many crashes has American Airlines had? Too many. Or United or Southwest. Don't remind me. Ah. Oh. The major carrier's complaints are not persuasive. American uh, American may claim that JSX distorts competition, but there's nothing stopping American or any other airline, that's what we talked about, from doing the same thing, offering short hop flights on smaller planes that passengers can get to and from quickly. 
Yet the company prefers to complain that an upstart has found a way to eat into its market share without spending as much money as would be required to operate as a major carrier. And see, this is what big businesses do eventually. Like they, they think it's unfair that these little guys are figuring out a way to try to eat at their market share. And rather than trying to compete, they want to use their power and influence because it's probably cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper to lobby, it's cheaper, cheaper to lobby and try to get your friends and buddies who are regulator, who are regulators. Cause they're all friends with each other. You know, you just call your buddy up, call Tom at the FAA. Mm-hmm. I know Tom. Yeah. You're like Tom, this is some bulls, mm-hmm. you know? And Tom's like, well, we got a real safety issue here. That's bad safety problems. Yeah. And, and that's they, what we're going to talk about. The thing is, it's easy for them to do the math, too, because they can look at, okay, how many flights does JSX have? Well, how much do they charge per ticket? Well, this is how much money JSX is making. That should all be going to us. And therefore, if we can make sure that JSX doesn't exist, all these people still need to fly. So therefore, they're going to be going to our airlines. And so... Here's how much money we would make if they are gone. So here's how much money we can spend lobbying Congress to try and get them to change the regulations on JSX. Mm -hmm. Well, the pilots union doesn't like that JSX is exempted from regulations like the 1500 hour rule, which says pilots and co-pilots must have at least that many hours of flight experience before they can fly commercially. It's not commercial. This isn't a commercial plane. It's not. Plus regulations on how much downtime a pilot must have between flights. But Gary Leff of George Mason University's Mercatus Center, Mercatus? Mercatus, Mercatus. Mercatus, Mercatus. Yeah, tomato, tomato, Mm -hmm. potato, potato. Center, that whole, that's a long center. It is. Uh, Points out that JSX has 30,000 hour captains mentoring sub 1500 hour co-pilots. And since they are largely one and two hour flights, the company's pilots mostly sleep in their own beds far better for fatigue than at nearly all major carriers. <laughs> so the, so the pilots get to go home yeah. to their own beds to, to their families. short flight. Like they've been driving for Uber all day. Right. Only it was a plane and the co-pilots may be sub 1500 hours, but they're flying with, you know, with 30,000 hour captains. They're flying with captain solely basically. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You know? Mm-hmm. So why are they mad about that? If you had a guy who was sub-1500, wouldn't you want him flying with Sully? The union is mad because these pilots aren't, pilots aren't represented by the union, and therefore the union can't take money out of these pilots' paychecks. Exactly. That's why they're mad. The CEO of JSX called the effort a brazen attempt to regulate JSX out of business and said that JSX has a flawless safety record and far exceeds applicable safety, security, and regulatory standards. He also told the Dallas Morning News that not once in our nine-year operating history has anyone at the TSA, FAA, or DOT ever raised any concern with the way in which we operate. It wasn't until our competitors started complaining. And now, and now, now they have to the do FAA. a safety investigation. Now the FAA has a problem with it. Now TSA has a problem. Now DOT, DOT has a problem with it. All in an effort to protect you. Mm-hmm. For your safety. Yeah. You... Lowly passengers who wouldn't know a thing. Let's move on to one more thing like government waste. And then we're going to talk about old melee, by the way, before we get out of here. The elections. No, no, no. The elections this weekend on Sunday. Hmm. Mm, So we're going to see what happens. Uh, The federal government spent $3.3 billion on office furniture as their employees were working from home. So let's talk about old government waste right fast. This adds up. 
According to a November 2022 survey, one-third of federal employees work entirely remotely, while 60% work at a at work a hybrid schedule. Most of the hybrid group go into the office one day per week and work remotely the other four days. So why then is the federal government still spending billions of dollars on office furniture? According to a new report by the government watchdog organization, OpenTheBooks.com, the federal government has spent $3.3 billion on office furniture since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. <laughs> The report found no material difference in the amount federal agencies collectively spent on office furniture between the years 2018 and 2022. In fact, the government spent considerably less in 2018 than in any of the subsequent four years. Now, why is that? Because they want their budgets. Because if you, you spend, if you spend less, then your budget can go down. Mm-hmm. Now, you would think that in a, in a time where people are working from home because of a pandemic, you'd be able to have a conversation with someone that you could do this in a private business, but not at the government. You know, you don't spend the, you don't spend the money. So therefore the budget goes down. Well, you got a human being there that looks and says, well, they didn't spend the money on office furniture in 2021. So therefore they don't need a budget for this. Or he could say, well, everyone was forced to work from home, but that's going to change in the future. So it does mean that eventually someday in the future, they're going to need to buy office furniture again. And by the way, how much office furniture can you buy? I've been sitting in this chair for seven years. Yep. That's have because it. you have a that's because you have a tyrannical CEO who won't buy you new chairs. Like how have you got it's like the department It's of, not in the budget. Every time Nate comes to me, I'm just saying I just always go not in the budget. It's like the it's right? like the Pentagon. Isn't that like that's what I use? Every single time. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, hey He's like, Hey Charlie, Charlie, how are you doing? I said not in the budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to say como sauce, but you know, it's well, fine. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, they don't need to buy new stuff every single year. It's like the Pentagon needing to spend 800 billion every single year. Like you didn't have anything from last year. It takes a whole other 800 billion to do it. It takes a whole other $3 billion for office furniture. You bought such crappy stuff last year that it all just fell apart this year. You got to rebuy all of it again. Mm -hmm. I guess so. You remember it was probably four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. One of our first episodes, we covered how the department of veteran affairs spent an exorbitant amount of money on this artwork oh, yeah. and different things. And then turns out some of the artwork wasn't even purchased and the money went into this person's pocket. <laughs> Probably some of Hunter Biden's artwork. I bet. And then uh, even at, at that, that person was just placed on leave. They, they got to keep their job. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm sure I they could, got a letter in their file though. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine just like taking $800,000 and then being like, you still have a job. Yeah. If you work for the government, that's how it works. A uh. July 2023 report by the Government Accountability Office surveyed the 24 federal agencies that occupy most of the federal government's buildings and found that 17 of the 24 use an estimated average 25% or less of their headquarters buildings capacity in a three-week sample period across January, February, and March of this year, 2023. They used... 2023? A, they only used a quarter or less... Of their building's capacity. In fact, none of the agencies surveyed, which included the DOD, uh, Commerce, State, Justice, Homeland Security, and Treasury, among others, use more than half of their capacity in an average week. So they're all using either a half or less or a quarter or less. But the, G- the GAO report notes that none of the surveyed agencies have returned to pre-pandemic staffing levels and have instead embraced the hybrid model. The situation presents a cost-saving opportunity, according to the report, as the federal government retains more space than it needs. In one example, 
despite only using around 9% of its office space. OpenTheBooks.com found that the Department of Agriculture spent almost $57 million on furniture between 2020 and 2022. For what? They're only using 9% of their office space. The General Services Administration... This is where those $1,200 coffee cups yeah, went. Which probably. manages uh, federally owned buildings, including the, including the purchase of office furniture, also uses only around 9% of its total office space. That is the GSA, which also manages the purchases of office furniture, only uses 9% of their space, but it spent $308 million on furniture. Three, the, that's almost a Powerball ticket. The DOD... <laughs> The DOD spent $1.2 billion on furniture, well, probably, that, probably bought it all from Afghanistan. That makes sense. Although it only uses 23% of the space at its administrative headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. Mm. Most, <laughs> most federal headquarters are barely a quarter full on a given workday, and no major agency is at more than half capacity, Open the Books founder said. Yet for some reason, we've bankrolled billions of dollars in desk, chairs, couches, and more while employees clock in from their own living rooms. Now, are they actually buying <clears throat> desks, chairs, couches, and more? There may be. Or maybe there's some shell companies out there that mm. sell furniture. I'd, mm. like to, I'd like to take a look at the furniture. Okay. Government furniture scandals are nothing new. In 2017, Department of Housing and Urban Development spent over $31,000 on a dining room set for Secretary Ben Carson's office. The HUD Inspector General later reported it, that it did not find sufficient evidence to substantiate allegations of misconduct. Of course. So the government investigated itself <laughs> yeah. and was like, oh, we didn't see any evidence of any misconduct. West Virginia House of Delegates <laughs> impeach members of the state's Supreme Court of appeals over lavish spending of state funds. The justices reportedly spent more than $3 million on furnishings and renovations as the struggling state made tens of millions of dollars in budget cuts. One justice in particular spent over five hundred grand, including $28,000 on rugs. Another spent $32,000 on a blue suede sectional sofa. That they got from Memphis. And that is <laughs> that's a nice sofa. Yeah. I just bought that's like a-, a pretty nice sofa. And it was way less than that. It looks like that sofa from that Charlie Murphy had, that mm. or Rick James had. No, I got Charlie you. Murphy. That was well, Eddie this one probably repels stains. So when people like are grinding, that was a blue like, suede couch. Feet in the couch. If you can picture it, it in your mind, it was blue suede. I don't remember that. I can't confirm. Your couch can't confirm. All right. Okay. Uh, so government waste. Could Charlie, you imagine spending thirty grand on a couch of other people's money. How do you sleep at night? How do you feel okay doing that? This is money that was taken out of people's paychecks. And you're going to buy a $31,000 couch. And of course, the Department of Defense is going to spend $32,000 sectional sofa. And of course, the DOD is going to spend $1.2 billion on furniture. They got an $880 billion budget and they can't, they can't come under budget. Like they, they can't because then someone would argue that they don't need $900 billion next year. Mm. Okay. And so that's why they keep doing it. <sighs> that's this, your this money. This is folks. the kind of stuff that just make, like really makes me mad. It's, it's your money. And like the end, I, you know, what we talked about yesterday, like at what point are we complicit? At what point are we, do we say like enough is enough? You know, this couch is going to push me over the edge for, <laughs> well, they, they impeach that guy for the, um, you know, for, for the American revolutionist, it was just a little bit of tea. Yeah, I mean, they spent more on office furniture than 
all of the taxation they were mad about back in that time. Yeah. Even inflation adjusted, I'm sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm. But we just we just keep letting it go on. And all the while we don't have any money. And <sighs> our cost of living just keeps going up. All right. It's almost time for Dumb Belief of the Week, everyone's favorite segment on Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie. The insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. What's up? This is Liberty and Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Make sure you find our daily podcast, Good Morning Liberty, on your favorite podcast app or go to BernieLies.com. Charlie's not here for this current segment, but I am sitting down with Young Voices contributor Eric Suarez. You've got this, uh, you've got this piece out. Uh, AOC was on Face the Nation and she was talking about the sanctions in Venezuela. As a libertarian podcast, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about Venezuela in the past. And you have a connection to Venezuela. Do you want to let everyone know what that is? Yes. Well, I'm, I was born in Venezuela. I was born in Caracas, 1999. You can say I'm the first generation that actually experienced Hugo Chavez. When I was born, he was already three months in power. So I grew up watching the country collapse, watching the socialist policies uh, being enacted and destroying not only my country economically, but also politically and the society itself just collapse it down. That made me have to leave. I left Venezuela when I was 13, almost 14 years old. And I went to Peru where I had uh, had to finish studies and then I came here. And so how long have you been in the U.S.? Already five years. Five years. Five long years, yeah. Uh, I came here as a student. So I saw a lot of things in college that you will think... Uh, you will, as a foreigner, you will not expect until you leave them. What what kinds of things are you talking about? Well, there's a lot of radicalism in U.S. colleges. I think that people sometimes don't really believe it that much, don't think that it is as bad as it is, but it really is. And I feel, I will even say it's worse than sometimes it is openly uh, viewed in social media or somewhere else, because I guess they show you the more peaceful uh, radicalism, if you want to call it like that. But uh, having lived it, having seen and having even talked with some of the people on colleges, um, the references that they have are very, very dangerous for uh, a peaceful society or a, a society itself. So, Does it concern you coming here and then seeing some of that on the college campuses that the U.S. might be headed in the, in the wrong direction, the direction that you uh, left your home country to get away from? It really does. It, it, it always is a very uh, shocking experience because you, you always think, well, it cannot get worse. Sometimes it does. And I feel like, well, kind of linking it with what we have been seeing in the last few weeks with the whole Israel-Palestine conflict, I mean, Israel-Hamas conflict, we have seen a lot of, uh, of violence, a lot of very terrible justifications and moral relativism in schools that just tells you, well, this is very dangerous. What, to what extent uh, the, they, the radicalism can justify what just happened in Israel? So 
there's a lot, and, and it, it doesn't stop there. I feel like it, there, some it can be very, it can be, it can get more dangerous than that. So you said that you saw Venezuela collapse. Now, do you remember? You were pretty young at the time. Do you remember the prosperous times, and then when it started to change, or was that when you were a lot younger? I guess you could say that the collapse, the real economic collapse, started a few years before I left. That's when the the oil prices started to collapse, and the, you start seeing a lot of bread lines to get food. You start seeing uh, that the supermarket shelves are getting emptier. Uh, there's no food. Nobody can. Uh, inflation starts rising to incredible terms. So that's one of the reasons that we left. Before that, you you could see the country collapsing in other ways. You would see that the society itself was getting very violent. The society itself was getting very repressive. You you could see the government increasingly censoring, increasingly persecuting, increasingly doing all these things that now we know. Uh, just led us to be in a dictatorship. I guess I, I lived through and I remember most is that transition process. Just trying to look from an American perspective and a, a, a libertarian perspective, we blame the government and their policies. Is that the feeling among the, uh, a lot of the people there too, that it was bad policies? Or is it that these evil, greedy businesses uh, left uh, left the country and or that the evil American regime putting sanctions on the country and that's what happened? Or do does everyone kind of understand what policies led to this happening? I would say that, uh, let's say 80%, 70%. Well, people do blame the the government and the socialist government of Maduro and Hugo Chavez. Problem is that there is still this thirty percent that may not be well aware of how it was the policies and not the people. So there's a lot of people who hate Maduro. I will say that number goes up to ninety percent of the country, even ninety five. But they still see Hugo Chavez as a reference. When he, when Chavez was here, it wasn't this bad. All right, I just wanted to to lay that out before we play this AOC clip uh, that you had an article responding to, and she's on Face the Nation. She's uh, talking about the sanctions in Venezuela. I want to play that clip for everyone so they know uh, what we are talking about here. Let me pull that up. And we'll play that so people can hear it. But additionally, I think we also need to examine the root of this problem, because if we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border, in this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Shortly after those sanctions, those broad-based sanctions... You're talking about Venezuela. Yes. Shortly after those broad-based sanctions were enacted, we started seeing uh, dramatic increases in these populations that were coming to our southern border. And so we have to address the root of these population movements and the migration crisis. Do you think that these sanctions are the root cause of the problems in Venezuela? That, that, that she couldn't be more wrong about that. I, I think that at this point, well, we also have to know the context of when this was happening, right? Because she starts giving these interviews as soon as New York is being overwhelmed by a wave of migrants, and most of them being Venezuelan. And uh, when uh, Mayor Eric Ab- uh, Eric Abrams, I think I forgot his last name, when the mayor of New York starts coming out and saying we cannot allow. We cannot keep holding this because this has become a real crisis for the city. I think with that context and knowing that AOC has always been a person or, or a politician that has promoted these uh, open borders, everybody should be coming in kind of policy. 
it's backfiring on her. So she's trying to wash her hands out of the situation of any responsibility and just saying, well, the root cause of this problem is not my fault. It is that uh, Marco Rubio put sanctions on Venezuela and that's why they're leaving, which cannot be further from the truth. Venezuela collapsed before these sanctions were put in place, right? Correct. Uh, if you want to divide the kind of sanctions that there are in Venezuela, there's two kinds. Uh, you can say that they are the oil industry sanctions, which are imposed on PDVSA, which is the national-owned oil producer. Then you have the personal sanctions, which are sanctions that are directed to certain individuals, with, which actually they, those started during the Obama administration, which he doesn't mention either. But those sanctions are basically directed towards people who have been accused or proven to be members of the regime that has have acted against democracy or in human rights violations. So those those sanctions are for them not to be able to get their money and spend it in the U.S. and be part or travel to the U.S. or, or and all of those things or invest in the U.S. etc. And then you have the old sanctions that came during the Trump administration, actually well after 2016. But the timeline doesn't add up because if you see the, the Venezuelan collapse, you see that it all started in 2013. You see the bread lines are in 2014, in 2013, 2014, up until 2017. We have seen this economic collapse that has been obvious for many years that it all started way before the first oil imposed sanctions started. And then she just comes and says and say that the mass migration started as soon as we get these sanctions imposed. Well, I will disagree because when the sanctions started were imposed, the mass migration did not start. I will say that mass migration started after around 2018, 19, uh, and it was due other political reasons inside the country. So you have to understand about Venezuela that up until 2021, up, up until 2020, there was still a lot of hope in the country that there could be a change of regime. And there was still a lot of people who believe in that change. That's why we see massive protests in 2014, 2017, 2019. And then we see the the rising of uh, former, let's say, um, President uh, Juan Guaido, which was internationally recognized. And he got a very big movement behind. And up until then, there was still a lot, a lot of hope. It was when that hope collapsed that you start seeing a lot of mass migration that started first within South America. So you saw a lot of Venezuelans going to Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina. And then it is when Biden um, comes into uh, into the U.S. and starts getting more relaxed on uh, border policies that a lot of that migration and that influx starts going to, to the U.S. Just to ask a question on her behalf, do the sanctions play any role? Right now, is there an idea that if we didn't have the sanctions, then Venezuela would have bounced back by now and everyone would be doing great? That's what she probably believes or that's what she wants to wants us to believe or her audience to believe. But I think it couldn't be more wrong. I think that the sanctions actually benefited Venezuelan people in a lot of ways, because there's actually this uh, I always make this. I, I use this story of things that happened during the sanctions, and it is that a lot of the business in Venezuela was oil. So the main source of revenue for Venezuela, let's say the socialist oligarchs, was uh, through oil and, and, and dealings that, the, that was through oil. When that revenue gets blocked, it's not like, oh, well, we're just going to be 
lose all our money now. No, they have to do find other ways to get revenue through, you know, the government and, and government contracts and things like that. So they start investing in other things. So the, it's actually very interesting how the you start seeing more businesses in Venezuela, like to, to launder money. You start seeing a lot of more food uh, businesses as well. And, and that actually had a counter effect into the into the society, even though they, the people were still being oppressed and there's still a lot of persecution and things like that. You saw that the the regime's need to to keep laundering money and to keep earning revenue forced them to look for alternative sources of revenue. So that's I feel like that's one of the reasons why this is very wrong. And the second is that the Venezuelan currency due, due to inflation was completely completely destroyed. Something very similar to what we're seeing right now in Argentina. What happened is that for a while now the Venezuelan People have been using U.S. dollars to uh, exchange and to participate in, the, in, the, in their market. So everything is dollarized. Everything is unofficially dollarized. The country is unofficially dollarized. So that also had a positive effect on the economy and on the, on the people's lives. So I, I do believe while AOC and the squad and all, these, and all of these members, they want you to believe that it, it is due to the, let's say, the sanctions that the country collapsed. You, you, there's no... There's no evidence of that. It will actually be the opposite. You can make a, 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 an opposite statement against that. And I do believe that the people who have been the most damaged for the for the sanction has been the regime itself, because you have cut a, a large sum of revenue that they had, that they are they did not have access for the longest time. And um, well, that revenue was used for a lot of bad things like human rights violations, like financing the, the military, like financing all of that revenue did not go to the people that they claimed that they were helping or the social programs because they, they weren't benefiting at all. It came for Russian military instruments or the financing their own military, financing the the torture centers that there are still in Venezuela today. That's why I've been always a very a big pro-sanctions advocate on Venezuela specifically because I, I I know that these things are happening and I know they're being funded by this revenue and I think that should stop. And so then when it comes to the mass migration from Venezuela, it looks more like this is a correlation not being causation issue. The timing is more coincidental uh, with what you were saying, people losing hope, things getting worse, and then deciding that it's actually just time to give up hope and leave. And that mm-hmm. happens to be coinciding with us also having these, uh, these some of these broad-based sanctions, as she calls them. Now, when it comes to the migration from Venezuela, the immigration into the U.S., what are your feelings on how the U.S. is handling our immigration right now? Is the southern border too open? Do we need to be closing that? Uh, should it be easier? Like, what are your thoughts on how we handle this? I think I think it's terrible, and it has been terrible even before Biden. But I think Biden just made everything even worse. Look, I'm, I'm a big pro-immigration advocate. I, I believe that immigration is good. I believe that immigration, it is net positive for any nation that does it. But I also believe that it has to be done the correct way. We cannot just be letting anybody in without knowing who they are, what they're, where they're coming from, things like that. Because there, there is a need of security, especially when you have a country as big as the U.S. and as involved internationally as the U.S. is and as hated as the U.S. is by many other countries. So with that context, we need to have a strong security to know who we're letting in. At the same time, we should be making it easier for the right people to get in. 
I think that the Biden administration has been doing the opposite. I think that if you come here legally or the right way, it's actually harder for you to get your documentation and to get inside the country and to, and to be legal than if you come through the border. I think that there has been a lot of wrong incentives. I, I like thinking about incentives. I think that the wrong incentives, incentives are being given out right now and that that's why we're seeing a huge increase in in the in the border crossings and then you also have other issues like uh, gangs that work throughout the mexican border you know drug trafficking that is also making a a huge thing in in the in the u.s there's causing a lot of deaths and things like that so and, and i do believe that you know immigration needs to happen but it needs to happen the right way and it needs to be we need to protect the border and incent and get more incentives for people to come the legal way yeah the the government's typically pretty bad at making things easy and simple for for right. for people to do. Uh, they're they're not great right. at that. Was it difficult for you? Did you come here on a student visa? Is that since you went to uh, what was it? Was it Penn State? I think that you went. Yes, Penn State. It was it was relatively easy. Yes, as a student, it was easy. What is it is a little harder to stay. I guess after your time as a student is done, that's that's the challenge. Some people get it through jobs; they get a a, a working visa. That's that's easier, but um, some people need to apply for other kinds of visas as well. I think that when you have, well, I've been lucky to have a really good education back home as well, and that makes it easier for people like me to come legally. Still, there is a lot of people who don't have the same benefits as I have. And that are still really good, hardworking people that should have a chance. That's why I've always been very pro-immigration. The problem is that now what I'm seeing is that um, when you don't have a control about these, you know, issues, I've seen a lot of, let's say, criminals come through the border. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to like be anything with these words. It's just that I've seen mass migration happen when I was in Peru, and at the beginning there was very good people coming in. Very good people coming in. And then now you see Peru that is being overwhelmed by gangs and, and very dangerous people that used to operate in Venezuela that now are operating all over the all over the region. So that also brings another issue that happens when you are not you don't have your borders were protect. And and I think that's also a negative for the Venezuelan people in those countries, in, in the US, in Peru, in none in of these countries, because it, it gives a bad image. And that changes public opinion about you're about who you are and about all these things and, and that brings a negative it sounds like we're we're probably pretty similar on immigration i just want a system where we can run everyone's name through that country's database i just want to make sure that they're not on the run for something that's also a crime in the united states especially if it's a violent crime and right. the government's not you know if someone murdered their family and they're on the run and they're trying to come through i think it's a decent idea that we check and make sure that the government's not looking uh, for them for, right. for murder or for any type of other assault, something violent, something where you hurt someone. I'm not talking about they skipped on paying their taxes or something, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> you know, right. I don't care. I don't care much about that one. But, uh, you know, something, a violent crime where someone was, was injured. I, I would like to know about that. And other than that, I, it shouldn't be that hard to put someone's name in the U.S. database and print them a passport and, and let them come into the country after that and issue a social security number or whatever it is. But all right, I was going to ask, are you a citizen or were, uh, planning on getting your citizenship or have you? I'm, I'm, I'm here on, um, I'm here on TPS. Okay. Temporary protection status. It's uh, this, I don't know if you're, if you know a lot about that, but it's basically a, te- a protection service that a status, I'm sorry, 
that um, people from countries who are in difficult situations get as a protection as, as a, for them to stay here. That was first enacted by President Biden. Uh, when he, as soon as he got into 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 presidency, he has just kept going. I think the latest update that they do. So basically, if you come here to the U.S. and haven't left the country before a specific date, and you you know you are not under, uh, you haven't committed any crimes and things like that, you can get that benefit. And then, um, well, that's basically it. And then you get that benefit, and it gets renewed every year. It's not something that is like a law is not permanent it's just you basically depend on the president or the or the USCIS willingness to keep considering your country part of the list of countries that receive this benefit so it's basically a limbo you never know when that's going to stop i feel like you know instead of trying to and, and i think i mentioned this in the article as well uh, my main criticism of AOC is that she wants to solve venezuelan issues but is trying to like actually benefit the venezuelan regime and there's other people who are actually trying to solve the Venezuelan issue here and abroad, and they're not getting half the, the view time that they would really deserve or, or need for them to, to make so, those changes. And one of them I mentioned in the article is Maria Elvira Salazar, who, who I believe is a good job on that sense. I was just thinking about that limbo process that you're in. Like, are you are you worried that you're going to wake up one day and that's just going to be gone and they're going to say that you have to leave like is that just a constant fear or are you okay with that or well i'm not okay with that it is a fear because it as i said it depends on on the willingness of uscis and president biden or whoever is next you you're not safe at all it's it's not something guaranteed so so it's it's not it's i'm not okay with that i'm actually (laughs) an advocate for for congress or something to solve this issue because if one day uh all the amount of venezuelans that are here just i don't know where become not eligible to work because without that you could, you're not eligible to work. Uh, you you get a deportment deportation notice and all of these things. It's going to create a chaos, and I, I just don't think that's going to be any positive for the country as well, especially right now. Well, that's so, one thing. Uh, if we could just spend a couple minutes on it, and then we got to go. But uh, one thing I've been advocating for is uh, in in the U.S. You typically would look at Democrats as people who are more pro-immigration, more giving people citizenship or amnesty or whatever it is you want to call it. And Republicans would be, uh, you know, you'd see them as more on the side as wanting to deport everyone, less immigration. My feeling has been, I actually think that the people would land more on the conservative political spectrum uh, conservative to libertarian, given the countries that they've migrated from. Uh, but the fear that you're talking about, in my opinion, would give people more of an incentive to support the political party that they think is going to help them stay in the United States. I actually think that if Republicans would flip on this and be more willing to say, like, yeah, everyone who's here, we want these are good people. We want everyone to stay here. Let's find a way for these people to stay here. They would just win all the elections in a landslide afterwards if we just made <laughs> everyone citizens and everyone had the right to vote. And we said, no, don't worry about it. We're not going to send you back to you, back to your country. You're Americans. Am I way off base on that? I, I've had similar thoughts about that in the, in the past and and. You know, sometimes I get very hopeful, sometimes I get a little less hopeful about that being a possibility. But I do believe that immigration is a huge issue, especially among Latino voters. And Latino voters are a growing community, especially here in the U.S. And I think that Republicans, if well, they've already been gaining some ground there. But if they want to completely get that 
you know, settle. The immigration is a very big issue, but what comes with it? You also need, I feel like there needs to be a concession, right? Because you cannot have immigration. Yeah, let's make it, let's make it happen, but no border security. That's, mm -hmm. that's what re removes a lot of people out. You have it's to not get about both, open you have to get borders. both at the same time. You have to say, we're yeah. going to do this and we are going to, let's just say, build a wall or we're going to have full border security and we're going to have, you know, you would have to agree on both of those things at the same time. Because if you get one without the other, uh, if you say, well, everyone's going to be a citizen, no one's going to be worried about going back home. Well, then you have the biggest flood at the border that you've Correct. ever seen. And so you, you would need to get both of those at the same time, which is very difficult for the government to do. Exactly. And that's that's what makes it the challenge. And I don't I don't see nobody really pursuing that <laughs> that track. But, yeah, sadly, that's that's the state of, of right now. But, you know, I never you cannot you're going to lose hope. You have to keep arguing for it for it to happen. But mm -hmm. I think that at the end of the day, if we want to if we really want to tackle it, we have to stop pushing the AOC's narrative that is because of the sanctions. Well, that's how we actually understand what happened. The, the key is to understand why Venezuela actually collapsed and how to make sure that we don't do the same thing here, that other countries around the world don't do the same thing. We don't have a time machine, so we can't fix why Venezuela collapsed, but we can learn why it happened to make sure uh, that we don't do it again. And then you can actually identify the problems and, and what needs fixed for Venezuela. Coming up, we got Dumb Bleep of the Week. Who said the dumbest thing? The live group is going to decide. Free Talk Live. Liberty Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. It's everyone's favorite day of the week. Today is... Dumb bleep of the mother trucking week. It's it Good is. Morning Liberty. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, and then the dumbest things on the internet, usually every day of the week when we want to, but mostly... Do you want to get into the... Do you, did you explain the rules? No, but the points are made up. Nobody doesn't matter. And nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody gets a trophy, It's the game allegedly. where the points are made up and nobody cares. Here's dumb bleep number one. I didn't put numbers on them today. I forgot. But this is dumb bleep number one. This is a picture that Donald J. Trump truthed out there and it is a uh your typical drawing of a courtroom proceeding you know sometimes you don't always get cameras in there so we've got a, a courtroom drawing here of what happened also on his instagram i forgot he's on instagram too but this could be i think this one's from truth and the truth is this is him sitting in court and right next to him you might recognize this other handsome fellow lesser lesser handsome this fellow than the guy on the left of course but the guy on the right is jesus or as our fellow spanish friends know him jesus absolutely mm -hmm. that's true and the idea what would you Costco say said he posted it on both truth and instagram all right so we've cleared so up still the fact using, that he's Trump still using meta this. yeah he is still using that yeah he got he's uh able to use facebook also right like he can use if he can use Instagram. Well, he can use all of them, actually. He just doesn't use X, Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, uh, here's a picture of Trump and Jesus. And I guess the comparison you're supposed to draw, it could be two things. It could be this is like Jesus on trial, which is one way you could look at it. Or it could be like Jesus is with Trump That's, while he's on trial, like yeah. by his side. That's also. the non-egotistical, be like, okay, Jesus is yeah. with me through this that's the least egotistical option that you have but is that trump do you think that's the one that trump was but going that, with 
Yeah. Or do you think he was trying to just draw the compare? Oh yeah, Jesus was on trial and also Trump was on trial. Therefore, that analogy checks out and those are the same thing. Yeah, which is what people have said before, mm-hmm. by the way. And so I don't know if he is predicting how this all ends for him or what. <laughs> well, Jesus really, is his lawyer. Not really sure. <laughs> that could be it too. Jesus Esquire. That could be the only way that he gets out of some of this trouble is if he has a guy who can turn water into wine, right? If you forgot the Bible, clearly Jesus was a carpenter and a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I saw. That was his profession. Turns out he was pretty bad one, but, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) as far as, yeah, as far as not getting sentenced or or anything, not in God's court, but in human, human court. Yeah. He was, anyway, we're making fun of Trump here. Um, actually, you know, I don't even have to make fun of Trump. Trump is responding to the incentive process that has been laid out in front of him by his, uh, craziest supporters. And no, I mean, no offense, all of you cult members out there. I'm kidding. It's not a cult. You just really like Trump and I get it. He did some great things. He punched some right people in the face. He said some stuff that other people didn't say. All right. So I get that. I don't really know if the whole comparison with Jesus thing is is all that accurate. Like if you were to look at, you know, paying off porn stars and mm-hmm. and uh, just general like things like that. Grabbing, I don't know. Grabbing women by the P word. That kind of thing too. Yeah. I look for that in red in the Bible and I didn't see it anywhere. Although maybe, know? maybe, maybe he actually did get saved. We don't know. Oh, yeah. Possible. Could be. You know, maybe he's turned his life around. It doesn't seem that way. But <laughs> That's not for us to judge. Only God knows his dark mm-hmm, heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? All right. But, but we know that he has a history of being insanely narcissistic. The dude is all about himself. Um, and it seems as if he is so narcissistic that he is narcissistic enough to compare himself to Jesus. Yeah. And so are other people like, um, what's her name? When did this first come out? What the, the the crazy congresswoman? Uh, oh, I need more than that. That's almost everyone. No, the the really crazy Trumper one. Crazy Trumper one. Oh, MTG. MTG. Yeah. Yes, I had Machine Gun Kelly stuck in my head. <laughs> MKG. Sure. That's why I can't think of her name. That'd be Marjorie. Uh, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> MTG. Yeah, Green. She's the one that first. Well, she she said that this was like Jesus, you know, a lot of famous Persecu- people have been persecuted, persecuted in yeah. history, you yeah, know, like exactly. Nelson Mandela, Jesus, Jesus, exactly, and Trump. Okay, that's dumb leap number one for everyone. Dumb leap number two. Do you remember that whole Jamal Bowman fire alarm thing? I remember you the know? fire alarm. Yeah, he pulled the fire alarm. It was well, an accident. It was an accident. Of course, he pled. He did plead guilty. He got a misdemeanor charge, which is going to mean nothing, of course. And and when this plea deal is finally reached, we actually get the video of this happening. Now, before that, all we had was a screenshot of Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm. Fire alarm. Like, we've got proof he is the person who pulled the fire alarm. Turns out this was not from a still picture camera. This is from an actual camera that was taking video the whole time. I don't know why we didn't have this video to start with, hmm. but they didn't release the video until after he had already gotten the plea deal. The plea deal, or the video that we got... Well, it's him pulling the fire alarm. That's true. And what you also see that kind of contradicts his statement. Now, remember his statement is that there were these confusing signs and he was trying to figure out how to get out the door, Mm. you know, and then he was trying to rush to the, to the vote 
because the vote was so important. And he's he wanted claustrophobic. To go vote. Yeah, and he, he wanted to get out those doors, the signs, they're racist and all that. He was that. trying so, to do his job for his constituents. He thought maybe if he pulled the fire alarm that he'd be able to get out the doors or something like that. Well, the, the video itself just shows him walking up to a door that has other signs on it to explain him. Right now he's passing a sign. He's passing a sign. And then there's also signs on the door. And you see these signs are so confusing. He gets so mad that he pulls the signs down off the door and then pulls the fire alarm (laughs) and then immediately walks away. Now he pulled the fire alarm because he thought it was going to open the door. Yeah. But he pulls the fire alarm and then he just immediately walks away from the doors. So Mm. maybe it did open the door. I don't know. He just never tried it. (laughs) So that's kind of weird. How much did he get paid for this? I don't know what ex- <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. And what exactly is the dumb? <sighs> it also seems like he may have tried to cover up the evidence by taking the he signs. He took one of the signs. He Maybe it, it could be up on the wall in his office. No, look, uh, no the took- other one fell on the floor. No, look. Boom, took- floor. Oh. Yeah. Now it's on the floor. Well, that's why it's confusing. He mm-hmm. didn't it's see upside the down now. You can't read it. Mm-mm. It's down there on the floor. Yeah. Plus signs are racist. There's a lot of dumb to this. One is Jabal Bowman. Then him putting out that excuse. And then like there's there's video of this happening. And like he knows what the cameras are going to show. And then people going out there defending him saying like, oh, well, if you saw those signs and and knew how much of a rush, like that AOC video that we played. Um, it, that's you all understood pretty, the like, pressure that these congressmen yeah, are under. Like you actually had to believe that he couldn't understand the signs and thought that you should literally pull down on a fire alarm to get the doors to open uh, to actually back him up on this. And then the dumb part is we didn't get the video until after the plea deal was reached because maybe the public or the rest of Congress wouldn't be as defensive as him as they were up until that point. But the Capitol Police had the cameras the whole time. Should he be removed from office for this? No, I mean... (laughs) It's, I don't know what the rules are for pulling a fire alarm. He, he didn't yell fire in a crowded building. And so technically this is still free speech, I think, because you can't yell fire in a crowded building. That's the only thing that you're not allowed to do in the entire United States, I think. And so I don't think the Supreme Court justices said anything about pulling a fire alarm in a crowded building. They didn't have fire alarms back then. So yeah, it hasn't been updated. The alarms were people's mm. voices. <laughs> I got you. Well, there you go. That's a fire alarm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Let's it's uh, just, yeah, it's just a uh, hilarious. This, this kind of thing is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand people who can't just take accountability. Yeah. Like you have to know you're on camera, bro. Well, he can't, come on. He can't take accountability because what he would have to say is either I'm a complete idiot, which is what he tried to say, or two, I pulled the fire alarm to create some type of a panic and delay the vote that was about to happen at this time. Yeah, but make it in a way that people can understand. Like, hey, I was extremely frustrated. I was trying to get out these doors. That was part of it, but also I was really frustrated what was going on. And, you know, it wasn't right. Yeah. But I pulled the fire alarm. And I shouldn't do it, and I won't do that going forward. Nope. I should have calmed myself but I was in a state of frustration and I allowed my emotions to get the best of me. Got to spin it. You know, he's a politician. He can't just say, I would vote for that guy after that. (laughs) I'd be like, Oh my God, that guy can literally be like, I can do better in the future. Yeah. Like he admitted that he did something wrong. Yeah. But nobody, no, like that's one of the things wrong with our society is that right there. You know, it's like you do something wrong. You can't be like, yeah, that's my bad. Nope. And, 
humans, we all understand that we do certain things like that. You can get in an emotional state where you make decisions that you normally wouldn't make. Mm -hmm. And so if you're honest about that and you have accountability, people can relate to that. And then you, then that's how you develop respect. I talk about it all the time, but the Domino CEO who came in Mm. and revitalized Domino's, he came in and said, we suck. Our pizza's terrible. Delivery's terrible. Everything about it is terrible. You must, you, you and talk we're about going them, to, like you never order Domino's. I never see you order Domino's every now Why and not? then. <laughs> every now and then, but if you look at the business story, it's incredible. Yeah, it's because people relate to that. They're like, "Oh man, we we all make mistakes." So you think he's in an emotional state, and he made a mistake, and we can forgive that. So at the very least, I think even watching the video, you can tell he's frustrated. Oh well, yeah, so he's frustrated. He's black in America. Yeah, come on. Some people, when they get frustrated, they may like, you know, they could, he could have hit the door. So instead know? of first degree, this is second degree fire alarm pulling because it was made in an emotional decision. I would, yeah, you know? I, it wasn't I premeditated. Think, yeah, I don't, I don't, unless, unless he got paid to do it, I don't think it was premeditated. Well, he was getting paid. All right, here's Mitch McConnell for number three talking about Ukraine aid and why he's totally on board with us giving Ukraine money. He's got a bunch of good reasons for why I think... This is a great idea for us to continue giving this to money to my, Ukraine. Try to get my third chain in there. <laughs> all right, here we go. It's all interconnected. It's and all you've said that you believe there is enough oversight of aid to Ukraine. Why hasn't that persuaded some members of the of the Republican caucus? If you look at the Ukraine assistance, let's let's talk about where the money's really going. A significant portion of it's being spent in the United States in thirty eight different states replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's what President Biden's seeking to do. It's, it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're re- rebuilding our industrial base. Why does he open his mouth? Uh, I don't know. Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful that they're defending themselves. And also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough. They've done almost $90 billion. All right, so we made it Clearly through. this guy never went, he never like sang in choir. No. You know, there's everything on the time right here. No, no, he doesn't. I don't think he, he could have sang bass maybe in the, in the choir, possibly. Yeah. Could have been singing real low. Or bass like that. How great You know, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a couple of dumb things that he said. One, all the Ukraine or a, a significant, a, a significant portion of the Ukraine aid is being spent here in America. And so what he means is we're paying to build weapons here in America. Now mm-hmm. we're building a, a good portion of this, which is something we've talked about, is us replenishing the weapons that we have given Ukraine. What he's saying is my friends at Lockheed Martin, yeah. Raytheon, Boeing, they're getting a significant portion of this Ukraine aid. Mm-hmm. And that works well for my campaign. Well, and that's great for the I economy. I can keep you know? my job. Yeah. It's, it's great for the economy to, to, to take people's money and build something, and then you literally take that and you blow it up, <laughs> and then you take people's money and then you build something again. Yeah. Like, that's I can't great. See, I, can't, I can't see anything wrong with that. We should just keep tearing stuff down so we can build it again. I can't see afterwards. anything wrong with that. It's great. What mm-hmm. is that? The broken window fallacy, yes. I think is what that's called. It's from Hayek, right? I don't remember which one. Uh, sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, the other thing. That comes see. from the book Economics in One Lesson by, uh, that's not Hayek. Um, 
Well, that's Henry Hazlitt. Yeah. I think Hayek might have been the broken window. Was I it? don't remember which one. Anyway, we just destroyed our libertarian cred just then, you know? That's, Screw yeah. you and your books. Yeah. I don't have to know the in-depths of all those people. I've only got 40 hours left on uh, human action right now. I'm getting mm. close. <laughs> getting the best so thing close. he said in here, though, is like, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. Of course you don't. No. Of course. It's not your money. And in fact, you're probably making money in this transaction. Well, the other thing because is... Because most politicians do. The second thing he said that's dumb is that we're, they're taking that and then they're destroying the army of one of our biggest adversaries. And so what's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. So yeah, we're paying them to destroy Russia's army. Nothing bad can come from this <laughs> yeah. really at all. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, just so cavalier. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're just going to take your money and literally blow it up and we're going to destroy another country's military that we were supposed to be getting along with for a while. And we'll back the Nazis. Fine. We'll back the Nazis as long <laughs> as they're fighting people we don't like. Well, those are the right Nazis. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Did we time that up with the Nazis? No, we didn't. Okay. So that was number three. Merch McConnell. Here's a Halloween sign. They got their, their set up for trick or treaters to come through there. They got some pumpkins out, maybe some Halloween, Halloween dec- decorations. And uh, here is actually, go ahead, Charlie, with the sign. Okay. Actually, scary things. Not like the skeleton they have up there or the fact that they painted their front door yellow. Um, Do you think they actually did that for Halloween? No, I think that like they just painted it yellow as if like, they thought that was a good idea. Oh, that's, that is scary. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I mean, a yellow front door. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, anyway, they have a sign that says actually scary things. Number one, the patriarchy, <laughs> the oppression of women by men. Mm-hmm. I saw this great meme that Austin Peterson posted yesterday, I believe. It was these girls like all dressed up that were walking by a guy working on a sewer and it says, stop oppressing me. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you working know, on the sewer. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm so over the patriarchy nonsense and I'm so over like women thinking that they're oppre- like, I'm, I'm about to go like full daily wire on this stuff. <laughs> You're going to go because I'm so on this. like, I don't even want to listen anymore. Yeah. Like I try to listen and try to mm-hmm. understand people. But it's gone so far with like this type of nonsense when it comes to the patriarchy that I'm just like, I, I want all the men to quit. Yeah. Quit. Quit working on the sewer. Quit driving trucks. Gen- a general strike. Quit stocking dro- grocery stores. Quit building buildings. Quit doing electricity. Quit laying bricks. Would all the stuff that men do just stop? Yeah. I want it to stop. And then I want the women to actually feel what it's like to not have men in society. I'm tired of them hating. And that's not all women. There it is right there. I don't want to quit. That's, that's how the terrorists win. No, I just want them to feel it for like maybe a week. Like if we yeah. can get all the men together to quit for like two weeks or maybe like three weeks, enough to like where the grocery stores are depleted <laughs> and all the truck drivers stop driving. Yeah. You know, actually, if we just get all the truck drivers stop driving for like a month, all the male truck drivers to stop yeah. driving. Yeah. And then, Yeah. There you go. And then just just to feel what that would feel like. Now, do the trans men have to stop doing things too? Or the trans women? Which which way does that work in your general male strike? Well, there would be so many like regular men, like regular. self-identifying men. <laughs> Patriarchy. There wouldn't be enough mm-hmm. transgender men or women who drive trucks that would be able to replenish what women need to replenish because they do all the shopping. And so then you would actually have to like, I don't know, go kill or find food 
because it wouldn't just be perfectly placed on a grocery store shelf for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't, I'm so mad at people who don't realize how easy we have it. And then they can sit, they, they sit on their, you feel like it's easy because you're a man sit on their throne, looking down upon people. And then they try to be the, I'm just so tired of people being mm-hmm. victims that aren't victims. Anyway, that's number one that's on the number list. One, there's the, yeah, there's five things that we'll take issue with here. Uh, number two, lack of gun laws. That's scary. So scary. Mm-hmm. You know, did I tell that I already tell the story about how my Facebook group in my neighborhood? Yeah. I told the story about on the how podcast. They were scared that, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. About like, the well, you live in Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. And we're out in the country. <laughs> okay. You don't live in, in, you don't live downtown. Well, maybe you told it before the podcast. I can't remember. You don't live downtown yeah. where, you know, they, they won't allow you to shoot guns. You live. At, in fact, it's not even against the HOA rules. We could literally, I have a perfect hill in my backyard mm-hmm. that we could shoot into. And we could shoot probably like, sitting from inside your house. Go out there house. today. Yeah. Yeah. And shoot if we wanted to, because it's not even against the HOA rules. Because I do live in a community that has an HOA, but we're outside of city limits. Mm-hmm. So it, you live in the country. And surrounded by Californians who think just the sound of a gun is scary. Mm. It's not. And it's because you don't understand it. Uh, number three, this is super scary. Uh, billionaires. Ooh. Yeah. That's really. Providing jobs <clears throat> and innovation is scary. That's very scary. Yeah. I, I I don't like having all the things that we have and some people taking I'm still stuck on the Patreon. I'm, I'm taking, <laughs> mad right now. <laughs> some people so taking a, a very, a very small portion of the amount of wealth that they've generated for society as a whole. Like that's, it's really scary to see that representation of all the value that, that you provided Mm -hmm. for others in life. And then the next one that's scary here, it's white supremacy. Mm. That one is, Mm -hmm. I've never been scared of that one personally, but you know, white supremacy, the last one, uh, climate change. The next one down. That's bad. Yep. In fact, it's so weird that they live in a pretty... I bet they're not even going to be able to get anyone to go trick-or-treat at their house. It's too scary No, to come up there with words like that in front of it. I mean, do you Jeez. realize here in Tennessee, like right now this weekend, it's in the 70s and 80s, and then Halloween night's supposed to be like 40s and raining. For it to change that rapidly... Oh, yeah, that's... Only one thing can explain it is human-caused... That's the only thing. Climate change. It's never happened that quickly before Mm-mm. in recorded history. The next one is uh, police militarization. Okay. Well, well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. That, that I seems, told you there were five things that we would have an issue with. That seems pretty scary. It's just so ironic that um, they want to take guns away from everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, but they're afraid of police militarization. True. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already, <laughs> the sign contradicts itself. And then the patriarchy, you know, most police officers are men. Mm. So it's like they well, want that's part of it. It's a milita- militarized patriarchy. But but they don't want the regulars. They don't want women to have guns. Clearly, because mm-hmm. of lack of gun laws, and so they want. They basically want men to have all the guns and to be militarized. And the last one on the list: friggin' spiders. Completely agree. Yeah, I agree I can with be that friends. one. I'm, I can be friends with these people. I actually don't like regular spiders either. No, but the, but the friggin' the ones. friggins are way worse. Those are the real have scary you seen ones. Those? Yeah. They're the, nuts. Have you seen? Yeah. Do you have a picture of a friggin' spider? Not on me. There's one out in your backyard right now, though. Front uh, yard, I mean. I thought Actually, for sure you would backyard. pull up a picture of a, no, a friggin' Dude, seriously, one of the ones friggin on your... friggin' spider. One of the ones on your neighbor's house made me go like, ugh. You could see it from on here. On the way in. Like the one, they've got the fake web going up the house, oh. and then they got a spider on it. Like It made you go burr? I could... Ugh, like, yeah. I, a freaking 
friggin' hate spiders. Yeah. Not frickin'. These guys, these are friggin' spiders. Yeah. That's the one thing God got wrong. Yeah. I actually don't mind spiders that much. I think snakes are scarier. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Slithery, slippery sleep in a bed of snakes before I would allow one spider yeah. to survive in Just my like bed. Your throne of lies that you sit on. <laughs> throne of snakes. We'll be going through the rest of Dumb Bleep of the Week. Make sure you find our daily podcast, Good Morning Liberty, wherever you get your podcasts. The rest of Dumb Bleep coming right up on Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie. Liberty Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. We're in the middle of Dumb Bleep of the Week. And this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering the Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. And a big thanks to Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash, Dash.org. All right, that was number something. The Four. Next, the next one is number five, and it's Nina Turner. We haven't seen her in a little bit. Dominoes. Dominoes coming yeah. on here. Dominoes coming. Dominoes does do a lot of cool stuff. Remember when they did that thing where they would they would fix potholes in the roads. Their commercial was that the bumpy roads were messing up their pizza delivery. And so let them know where there was a bad pothole and they would come fix the hole in the road. Like, they put the Domino mm, logo on yeah. it. So they've been pretty good at stuff like this. And uh, Domino's, the new thing, I guess, is offering free pizza to customers with student loans. Here's how to get one. Now, not always going to be free pizza, but maybe you'll get a free pizza, a free pizza from Domino's. That's pretty cool, That's I think. That's cool, yeah. I mean, that's a corporation who's selling a product, who wants to do good things for their customers that are out there. Of course, it's for their own benefit. Like, this is all marketing for them yeah. and for people to like them They're as a They're hoping company. to sell more pizzas later. Yeah. Yeah. You give away one free one, you hope to sell five. Well, you get them hooked like a drug dealer. Like, you want yeah. to get people hooked on this Domino's mm-hmm. pizza. You're going to give them, like, the high-quality, best, highest-grade Domino's pizza when mm-hmm. they come to pick up this free one, and they'll be hooked. But what does life. Nina have to say about this, Nate? Nina says... What the hell stage of capitalism is this? <laughs> That's probably yeah. what I don't know. I don't know what she sounds like. I've never. God, I want to say the a pain joke of listening so to her. badly right now. She said, "What the hell stage of capitalism is this?" Mm. Now, she could mean a couple things about. The, of course, people in the socialist community they make these jokes about late stage capitalism and all mm. that. And so the the joke is that we've made it to the point in capitalism where corporations are having to give free things away to people who have these greedy, greedy student loans that they have. My number one thing that I was upset with was if the government would have passed a law telling Domino's that they had to give people free pizza if they had student loans, 
then she would have been really happy about that. She would have been totally fine with it. And then the second thing is that, what are you putting in there? I wrote my joke oh my in the God. live group. <laughs> the second. I don't, can't say it out loud. Yeah. I want to so badly. And I no, just want to no, be like, screw, you don't want to. I want to be like, screw everyone. Freedom we, of speech. We do have rules against that kind of stuff for the radio. That was the one rule. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was told. <laughs> so by the way, if you're listening on the radio and you want to know what joke I told, you got to go to joingmail.com and it's really yeah. funny, by the way. Cool. I've already got people putting laughing, crying emojis on it. Other than cursing and stuff, we have yeah. we have one subject that we're not supposed to go too far on. Okay, so <laughs> we're not telling All you. All I'm what saying it is. is, I know what stage of capitalism this uh, is. Domino's <laughs> offering free pizza to customers. Like I said, uh, my number one problem was that if the government would have been forcing Domino's to do this, she'd be completely fine with it. And number two, I wouldn't say capitalism has even a lot to do with the fact that people can't afford their student loans or that they can't afford college. Given the fact that the government got heavily involved in college, even back in, I believe, the 60s, they started subsidizing college for people, 60s, 70s, something like that. And then clearly, I believe it was 2010, when they decided to take over all the college loans, and basically anyone who wants to go to college for any dumb thing they want to go to college for can get a loan, which means that the colleges can charge whatever the heck they want because the government's just going to give you a loan or guarantee the loan from whoever for anything that you want to do. And, and therefore the, the only, price keeps going up, which is not capitalism. It's the only debt that you can incur that you can't go, that you can't yeah. declare bankruptcy on. And actually in capitalism, you can declare bankruptcy yeah. on your debts that you have. Mm-hmm. This is not a capitalism problem. Yeah. This is literally a government created problem. So oh, Nina, Nina, Nina. I, I got to tell you, you know, as a, I mean, she's a human being, so I care about her. But man, she consistently says dumb things. Yeah. It's not her fault, though, because no. she's a woman. <laughs> Next and, one. And really, okay, it's not really dumb. It's, it's just ignorance. It's yeah. a lot of ignorance. But has she, I mean, has she chosen the ignorance, you know? At this point, it's, as, it's, many, it's, as many exes as she is placed out there yes as some uh economist that i'm supposed to know as a libertarian has said somewhat in the past it's okay to be ignorant on economics no one's expected to know everything about economics what's not economics is extremely boring what's not okay is to be ignorant on economics but then go out there and make all these declarations about economics and the ways that we should change everything when you don't know anything that you're talking about amen that's a problem preach and i don't know who the heck i just butchered right there as far as a quote or an idea goes it sounds like something thomas soul i think i did it better than he did i want you to keep preaching that message right there so that was number stop what don't stop. You were you were on to something there. That was that was the whole thing. That's all I remember. Oh, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. The uh the next thing that comes sh- from the book of economics. Yeah. Yeah. The book of soul. <laughs> Letters. You know, that was Thomas Sowell's first letter. First letter to mm-hmm. the <clears throat> the school of economics. Uh yeah. did you see I got the sizing thing fixed up today? That looks amazing. You're welcome. It looks mm-hmm. so much better on That's there. That's what she said. Okay, this is number what? Uh, this is number six. Six. Number six. All right, let me give you the deets on this real quick. New York Times used to have this guy working for them who literally praised Hitler, thought he was the greatest thing because he hates Jews. Okay? I, they got rid of him for a little bit, a couple of years, but they recently have let him come back so he can report on what's going on in Gaza. And this is a guy 
who's actually posted actual praise of Hitler for actual Hitler for literal Hitler, literal praise for things that Hitler did. Okay. In fact, he didn't think Hitler went far enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tom soul letters to the Austrians. <laughs> <laughs> he was more Chicago, but yeah, yeah, it sounds way better as Austrian for sure. Chapter 38 verse two. <laughs> so New York times hires Hitler praising Solomon he, there's two J's he, there, so he j He j j There's two J's. To cover Israel-Hamas war. Hi-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-
Yeah, that's pretty dumb. I think everyone agrees. Good job. Good Jewish job allies times. calls Trump's dinner with someone, obviously, Nazi. <clears throat> Nazi, yeah. Yeah. A Nazi. Trump's dinner with anti-Semites, a breaking point. Well, that was uh, with, uh, what's his name? What's the dude? Who's the dude? Someone, Fuentes, right? Nick Fuentes, I think. Okay. That was six. Trump under fire for invoking Nazis in criticism of U.S. intelligence. They're very much against Hitler and Nazis. Here's another title. Trump emerges as inspiration for Germany's far right. Mm. (sighs) And you can't take these people seriously. No. This is, this is, this is why. Oh, did we see if they've gotten their, their badge back on, um, they did. I checked. Did it. they? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That but was this is, funny. This is why this is why it becomes so frustrating and why you feel like you're being gaslit. It's because you are. <laughs> That's, That's the why. reason. That's yeah. ex- exactly the reason. They come out and they'll tell you that all these people who aren't Nazis are Nazis. And, and especially you. Like if you believe in liberty and you have like a Gadsden flag and you're like, hey, don't tread on me. Like I want to be a free person. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're a far right white supremacist, Nazi loving, crazy person who hates Jews just like Hitler. But then they'll actually they'll but then they'll they'll hire someone who will literally say I hate Jews. Yeah. And I and who will literally praise align Hitler. Align with Hitler. And so you're like you it's just it's this mind game where you're like you just can't take these people seriously. No. You because, can't. I would recommend not taking them seriously. Because in fact, it almost seems like they have a hidden agenda to <laughs> It almost seems like want that. to exterminate the Jews. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go back Oh, but they you, use rhetoric to try to get Jews on their side. If you go back to when the Holocaust was going on, you'll find some, some, some strangely worded titles and, and thoughts and opinions out there. And what I, frustrates uh, me is like, I know, like, I know some, some pretty hardcore leftist Jews. And I'm like, can you not, do you, can you not see what you're reading here? You know, hardcore leftist Jews? Yeah. I know people who are Jews, Jewish, that are hardcore leftists. Mm. Okay. And so I'm like, I, I get confused every time I'd see stuff from them. And I'm like, how, how do you put this together? Like you're advocating for people who actually hate you mm-hmm. and you're hating on people who probably love you as a person. <laughs> it doesn't make no sense, man. It def- that dog don't it, float. It definitely don't make no sense. These colors don't run. All right. Number seven, there was a shooting. Oh, that's right. Remember the shooting that mm-hmm. happened last, uh, last night? Night before last. Two night, yeah, two nights ago. This is the only thing we're going to bring in here to talk about the shooting today. It's from Maine State Senator, I believe, State Senator uh, Golden. I think Jared Goldman is his name. Fairly sure. Uh, he's a Democrat, but this was a, a big deal for him to come up here after the shooting happened and say some dumb stuff about assault weapons. So here we go. Now we could be in full control among many other misjudgments. I have opposed efforts to ban deadly weapons of war like the assault rifle used to carry out this crime. The time has now come for me to take responsibility for this failure, which is why I now call on the United States Congress to ban assault rifles like the one used by the sick perpetrator of this mass killing in my hometown of Lewis and Maine. For the good of my community, I will work with any colleague to get this done in the time that I have left in Congress. To the people of Lewiston, my constituents throughout the 2nd District, 
to the families who lost loved ones, and to those who have been harmed. I ask for forgiveness and support as I seek to put an end to these terrible shootings. In the days to come, I will give everything I have to support this community's recovery. Okay. It, all that he's what he said there is, I really want your vote for when yeah. my seat's up. <laughs> he was, what he said was, I'm about to get elevated big time by the Democratic Party mm-hmm. because I've been against banning assault weapons or whatever. What he called them assault, assault rifles uh, in the past. But now that this happened in my hometown, I realized that everyone in the United States should be banned from having mm-hmm. assault weapons. And the DNC and, just deposited a large yeah. amount into my campaign account. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's one, there's one dumb thing here, which... And, and don't forget I'm up for re-election soon. We haven't been in this exact <laughs> situation, but have you ever played out, Charlie, in your mind, whether or not you would feel the same way if this happened to or affected you? You know? I know exactly what I would feel. Do, do you? Well, people have asked me. They asked, yeah. like, am I scared to send Parker to school? Yeah. You know, we had a, we had a, a pretty bad school shooting here in Nashville mm-hmm. not that long ago. Okay? The forgotten and, shooting. Yeah. And I was asked, like, am I scared to send Parker to school now? And the answer is no. No, but the other question is, if something happened to Parker's school and he didn't come home, would you feel the same way I would, about guns? I would actually be angry there weren't more guns in the school to protect him. Okay. There That's what I would be mad about. <clears throat> Because you can't stop psychotic people from doing psychotic things. Mm-hmm. All you can do is set yourself up to protect yourself against psychotic people doing psychotic things. Well, really, like, what really? And I like what T Dub said here. It's it's high time that Congress outlaws murder. They should. Yeah, this has been going on too long. Mm-hmm. That's what's wrong. So we don't have like a federal ban on murdering. Yeah, people. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Was this a hate crime in any way? Have we looked to see? People who hate AR-15s, probably. People who hate life. He yeah. hated life. Mm-hmm. And everyone that he killed was alive beforehand. Because he, yeah. So they should... This was a hate crime. Attach that. Mm-hmm. Did they catch the guy, by the way? No. Still at large. He was ready to go. They found this truck or car or whatever by that boat ramp, and he has a boat that they haven't located. I mean, this dude went to the boat ramp and got on the river. Because he probably knew all the roads were going to be closed and everything. I just shooters running through my mind right <laughs> it's now. Like, I don't want to, you know. I want thirty miles of this river lined <laughs> yesterday. I don't want to say anything too positive, but pretty smart plan so far. Hmm. And I hope that that river doesn't connect to the Cumberland. Is what I'm saying, or Tennessee, or whichever. Which what goes through here? Cumberland. Cumberland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't know where he's going to float to next. You um, know. Well, I have protection mechanisms, so he can yeah. he can come over if he wants. I mean, I've got some. I just I've only got four rounds of my gun right now. It's been kind of bothering me. Yeah, why? Because uh, it's that expensive. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to cut back. You can afford some other rounds. You you don't want to have too many in your gun when you need it. <laughs> that way, you, you could end up wasting some. You know. Yeah. So you want to be more accurate. You also have a friend who. I mean, I've got plenty at home. I, mean, I just I have, haven't put them in there. <laughs> I have a stockpile that I'm you know that I'm trying to protect myself with in case. Everything goes to shh. No, what happened was I, can't I was say that on the radio. I was so. shooting with my brother, and uh, with I shot out all my ammo. And for my drive home, I was like, "Hey, can I borrow four rounds from you just in case stuff gets real on the drive mm-hmm. home?" You know, and so that's what I put in there, and I just haven't yeah. looked since then. It's actually because, like Costco mm-hmm. said, you're such a good shot. 
That's what it is. That yeah, even if I could probably kill eight people with those. That's what I'm saying. Even if mm-hmm. eight bad guys try to surround <laughs> you, you could take two out at one time with, yeah. with each. That's the plan. With each bullet. Try it. Yeah. All right. I do have to go in like six minutes. So. Oh, gosh. Okay. We're well, on to number eight. Good Lord. All right. Let's get on to number eight. This is ridiculous. Um, okay. Oregon. In Oregon. Great. The great state of Oregon. Here we go. For the next five years, high school students in Oregon will not need to perform proficiency tests showing mastery of reading, writing, or math in order to graduate. And this comes as the Oregon Board of Education unanimously voted to extend a pause on the graduation requirement yesterday until 2028. They're citing inefficiency and inequity. Joelle Jones going beyond the headlines tonight to find out what this pause will mean for students. This is a controversial decision and one that's facing a lot of pushback. While some say the decision will lower state standards and cheapen an Oregon diploma, the Oregon Department of Education tells me this policy simply didn't work and disproportionately harms students of color. For the <laughs> So you're telling me <laughs> these kids are supposed to go to school and learn something. Yeah. And they'll get a certificate saying they learned something, even if they didn't learn something. Yep. Who's learning these kids? The government. <laughs> That's who's learning them. And uh, like what? Why don't they just call it daycare? <laughs> you know, stop calling it school. Why don't we just call this racism? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You're literally saying that, like, well, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but they're like, oh, you know, them damn colored kids can't learn how to read good. And so we're just going to make it to where. You don't have to do anything to graduate. Who cares? That's essentially what they're saying. They're just yeah. making it more colorful language. They're yeah. just saying it disproportionately affects people of color. No, like, that's the... what's actually racist. Yeah. Not the schoolwork. The schoolwork isn't racist. It doesn't care what color you are when you're filling out the bubbles on the test. <laughs> it, and, it doesn't care. And so if you, if you keep this in place, they're doing it. I, I was reading because of the people are behind from the pandemic. And so it's unfair because so many people are doing terrible on their tests and they're behind from the pandemic. And so they need a few years to catch up basically. Mm-hmm. And it would be unfair for them to do this. So once again, there's a repercussion from shutting down schools during the pandemic. Yeah. People are going to get their diplomas. Well, and they don't, you know, this is what happens when you get a job. You mm-hmm. know, if you're falling behind on the work you need to do, your boss will definitely give you a pass because yeah. they understand. And in fact, they'll just mark down that you did the work even, even yeah. if it's not done. Yeah. They'll, they're going to give you your bonus mm-hmm. even. In fact, they'll probably give you more of a bonus. Because of inequity. Because of inequity. Exactly. This kind of thing is actually really frustrating. You're talking about the learning of the children, and we're supposed to care about the children, and more. we're supposed to care more about children than whether or not they could go by a different gender while they're in school. You know, that's not supposed to be the only thing that the people on the left are fighting for, for kids. Uh, But if you set out this... This incentive process where they don't need to pass a certain test to be able to graduate. I get it. Tests are bogus sometimes. Some people are bad test takers or whatever, whatever the excuse is that people want to make. Uh, but that's, that's a thing, certainly for some people. But you lay out this incentive process, what's going to happen? Even then, the lower grades know that, well, we don't have to get them to a certain proficiency for them to be able to graduate. What's the incentive process for the school? The incentive process for the school is to continue just being a daycare center. Like that's, that's all they're going to be. That's mm-hmm. what they've turned into. If you don't pass, if you don't meet the requirements to get through a certain grade, you should get held back. 
until you meet those requirements. And if you actually try to help the students, the parents will come to the school with a cane and threaten to beat you with it. What? That sounds made up. <laughs> that sounds made up. I've yeah. never heard of that before. I know. That's crazy. That's that wild. Would, that would never happen. There's no way that that's actually part of a personal story of mine that I will tell one day. Uh, well, by the way, uh, because we did the voting off air with the Fed Haters Club, join GML.com. It's only six bucks a month for you to hang out with us live every single day of the week on our daily podcast, which is called Good Morning Liberty. If you want to hear us every single day, then that's where you would go. If you want to listen to this full episode on your podcast app, then you want to find Free Talk Live on your podcast app. Go to BernieLies.com so you can find all of the stuff that we do thousands of youtube videos and tiktok and twitter slash x and facebook and all that stuff where you want to go what i was saying is you missed the voting the voting the dumb leap of the week winner is the last one that we just did it was oregon removing the requirement that you be proficient in math and reading and writing to graduate from school good lord we'll see you again next week on liberty at night some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark warden now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. PorcupineRealEstate.com